Crimson Tower Studios. Welcome to the Old World Podcast, the unofficial podcast for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and the original podcast to bring you both discussion and actual play in 4th edition. I'm one of your hosts, Lance, and tonight I'm not only joined by my brother from another mother, Matt, but we are also joined by writer, RPG designer extraordinaire, and Old World Podcast alumni, T.S. Lucart. How are you gentlemen doing tonight? I'm good. It's uh, it's super windy, actually. <laughs> Uncharacteristically windy. So my dog was almost like freaked out because we were going sideways while we were trying to walk forward. So. Goodness. Super excited to talk about this book. It is a a very unique title, mm-hmm. and uh, it's going to be a good discussion. It's a long title. If you go, it, it's full. <laughs> it's well, full I, full title. I'll tell you what. I the Imperial Zoo is a great title, but. Three Expeditions in Pursuit of Knowledge and Lucidation, recorded by the scribe Theodosius Schreiber, commissioned by the Imperial Zoo. Now that is a title. Yeah, well, that's awful, but it's a good title. <laughs> well, that is the title on the collector's edition. You get to see a book from the old world straight up. That's that's legit. Um, <clears throat> well, before before we dig into that, um, let's let's hit some news and stuff. But I guess before we do that. Yeah, so TS, I think, uh, boy, at this point, most of our listeners are going to know who you are, but for those who don't, why don't you give us a little bit about yourself, what you do in the Warhammer community? <laughs> okay, uh, I am TS Lucart. I have been a game designer for a very long time now, <laughs> longer than some of you youngins have been alive. <laughs> um, I specifically, these days, I think, what is my present title? My present title is Senior Creative Developer for Cubicle 7. But uh, in practice, that means I work on all three of the major DW role-playing games that Cubicle 7 does. So I have done and continue to do supplements, core books, you name it, for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Age of Sigmar, the Soulbound RPG, and uh, 40K Wrath and Glory. So I have worked on and continue to work on all three titles. Uh, Over the years, uh, from the old world podcast point of view, a reminder for you guys, I was one of the designers of the second edition in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I helped Chris Pramus do the core. Uh, I wrote the main adventure mini campaign for Terra and Talibheim. And most directly relevant, I was the lead design for the Old World Bestiary, the original second edition Bestiary. So, uh, yeah, I worked on a lot of Warhammer titles over the years. So my uh, my DNA is thermally wrapped through two different uh, editions of Warhammer as I also worked in the fourth edition core. So. For listeners that might not know this... Um, if you were to go out and like Google, you know, the best RPG bestiary or monster manuals that have ever been written, that top 10 list is almost certainly going to include the Wolfrup second edition bestiary. It is uh, lauded as one of the best ones out there, and um, it has withstood the test of time. Uh, I cannot tell you how much I love things like slaughter margins and getting the points of view from different people, um, you know, what what is a squig? Well, according to their own words or according to, like, there's a it's a really cool concept. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and the differences between second edition and fourth edition. 
here, but uh, I, I guess the, the point I'm trying to make is uh, T.S. is humble, but he's no slouch when it comes to uh, writing a bestiary. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, before, uh, just for fun, let's, uh, I, I, there's so much to talk about, but I do want to ask, what kind of gaming have you guys been up to uh, lately? That's something our listeners always ask to know. And uh, so Matt, you want to kick us off? What, what have you been up to lately? Oh, we, uh, there's a couple of board games I want to talk about, but I think I'm going to save those for our next episode because uh, the last couple of weeks I have been nonstop playing Tiny Tina's Wonderlands, which is... <laughs> which is the new uh it's it's a borderlands game it it has the same feel the same kind of like fast-paced looter shooter you know with a lot of comedy um thrown in there and it's super good this one is role-playing game themed as in uh there was a dlc for borderlands 2 called uh tiny tina's assault on dragon keep where she was playing bunkers and badasses which is a spinoff of uh, another role-playing game that we're all familiar with and it's like you she was narrating it as a gm would as you were going through when you got to new locations when you found like you know had different encounters with people and and boss fights and things like that and it was really it was really immersive and it felt a lot more like you were doing a role-playing game instead of just a video game well oh, yeah it, it was hilarious <laughs> it was so good and so that went over so well and was so had so much praise along with it that they turned it into a full-blown, full-fledged game um, that in this one, unlike in the normal Borderlands titles, you have way more control like you normally would in a role-playing game over, you know, your starting stats, your, your, uh, how your character looks, their voice, you know, you can design their face and their armor and all like all the kind of stuff that you normally kind of expect. Uh, and then you, so Tiny Tina's the, the uh, bunker master, is what they call it in that. And uh, there's two other players that are at your table that are just essentially there, like also narrating alongside Tina. Uh, and they're voiced by Andy Sandberg, who's uh, SNL alumni and uh, was Jake Peralta in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And Wanda Sykes, who plays a robot, and she is a really well-known uh, comedian. So it's full of humor. The storyline is great. And there's one mission in particular that I, I wanted to bring up because it so perfectly reminded me of circumstances that we have had in our games before. And I mean, they, they riff on role-playing game tropes through the whole game. Uh, but there's one where the, you're supposed to go talk to this guy named Merrick. And the, the mission is something about like Apocalypse or Armageddon is in the title, something like that. And you go over, you start talking to this guy, and then Andy Samberg's character's like, what's the deal with that guy over there in the blue hat? And Tina's like, oh, it's just, uh, it's just some guy. He just is wearing a blue hat. We're like, okay. But why is he wearing the blue hat? Something <laughs> suspicious about this guy. And she's like, no, 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 no. He's just an NPC. And we're like, the other guy's like, you must help us save the planet from destruction. We need you to. And you're like, all right, hold on a second, guy. We're going to go talk to blue hat guy. So you go over there and it's like, what's your name? And she's like, I, he doesn't have a name. He's just an NPC. Okay. His name is Blucius Hatworth. And you're like, I want to interrogate him. So you could like <laughs> melee attack the guy and you, you literally are chasing him through the streets as Tina's like shouting at you. No, he is an NPC. And it very vividly reminded me of a, uh, in one of our star Wars games where Lance, you had mentioned to us that 
this one guy happened to be wearing like an Indiana Jones style hat. And we had this big confrontation with them and we were making it out with our lives. Like we just needed to jump on the speeders and right away. And I stopped and was like, I want to go back for the hat. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, I like used a destiny point or whatever. And like got back, stole the hat and took off. It's just, it was so funny. It had me cracking up the whole time. (laughs) I, the one I'll say, which was from the original, just, I I think people are getting it, but just to be clear, because it's so funny is they come in and it's this bright and sunny day and there's like rainbows and literally like uh, Lilith uh, from the original Borderlands, uh, Lilith goes, didn't you say it was dark and stormy a little while ago, Tina? And she goes, oh, oh, right, right. Dark and stormy. It literally goes, (laughs) swarming clouds come from everywhere. (laughs) Suddenly it's, you know, clapped to the lightning and rain. It's so funny. (laughs) They, they do such a good job with it. And this one, I mean, I, uh, I've, if any of our listeners are going to know, because I talk about it all the time, I absolutely love those games, and this one is no different. The fact that it it brings in so much more of that role-playing. Another thing that's super cool, when you start the game, like normally under character creation, you, you, know, it, you start picking your stuff. Well, you start the game as a gray, unpainted miniature. So you literally <laughs> have to go through and like start selecting colors for the things that you wear. And if you choose not to, you just are unpainted the whole time. And it just, it's funny. <laughs> have you had a chance to play this new one yet ts so i played all of borderlands with my daughter literally oh, nice. everything every every game and all the dlcs and the pre-sequel everything we played oh, yeah. everything all the way through together so uh it, because in part uh borderlands for those that don't know it's actually one of the few games these days that still does split screen in yes. person so you can sit next to each other and play on a split screen as opposed mm, to having awesome. to be on a separate system in a different place. Yeah, exactly. They're one of the last, but for whatever reason, it's still uh, one of the reasons why it's super popular. So I committed to my daughter. I wouldn't play without her. So Nice. <laughs> nice. That's fantastic. I also will attest that having like the couch co-op is so cool. My seven-year-old daughter and I have characters that we play together. My 12-year-old daughter and I have characters that we play together, and it's just it's super fun. And then you have your solo you've already beaten the game with. Oh, yeah. My, <laughs> my, solo, my solo is level 40, which yeah, is the current totally. max. Uh, I think I it took, like, I want to say I calculated about 53 hours to do the entire like main storyline. So, yeah, I just, it's good stuff. Uh, I'm glad to hear you like it. I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Yep, that's the plan. Awesome. What about you, Lance? Have you been able to get any gaming in? Honestly, not really uh, much. I've uh, uh, school and everything. I've been doing some painting because I'm listening to like uh, school lectures and things, um, and I paint while I do that. So um, I've been painting some of my Imperial Guard, actually, um, some 40K. But uh, other than that, the only gaming I've really gotten down is uh, Wolf Rip, which is not a bad thing to get down on the on the ground but um yeah that's about it and i've uh, spent a lot of time with one of my players who created a new character and um and uh he's super super into it so it's a fun process and uh, i think we finally nailed it so that's where most of my time's been spending what about uts what have you been up to game wise there's this fantastic game called hades uh very much as in... <laughs> i have you guys played uh i Matt is constantly beating you over the head to play this game. (laughs) I like, uh, I guess it would have been 2000 at the end of 2020. I played through it 
all the way to the end, like full completion on the Switch. And then a few months later, it came to Xbox and it was on Game Pass and I picked it up and I played all the way through start to finish full completion <laughs> again within a year. And I honestly, I could do it again right now. That game <laughs> is a masterpiece. So they went back through, I guess, and from what I've been told, they cleaned everything up and they put it on, uh, it's on the PS network now. So I played it on my four and they cleaned it up very well. Apparently there've been a little glitchy things with one or two of the side things before, but everything's all cleaned up and yeah, it's fantastic. I'm like, where has this game been? (laughs) It's so much fun. So yeah, Uh, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. I've discovered that roguelike games like that are, one of my absolute favorites that you you can focus on building a very specific type of character for a certain run and in Hades the fact you've got these all these ridiculous weapons and they have different aspects that change the way they function and they have upgrades and then you're getting the boons and my goodness the story is amazing the voice acting is like gives me chills thinking about it it's so good uh yeah it if is- you haven't played Hades listeners yeah. <laughs> do your strong, re- favor. <laughs> strong recommendations from both of us <laughs> it's really really fun yeah so yeah that i have enjoyed that quite a bit though i i will say and this is the last one because it's rude for matt and i to have this discussion that the rest of you are like what the heck i have to say matt you absolutely need at least one or two of athena's deflect abilities like oh, yeah over to i'm like always get athena's deflect one you, at least one or two of them <laughs> you get deflect on your dash and it's it's like a god mode or something you just like <laughs> hop around you're constantly dashing everywhere reflecting everything yeah i was always a big fan of aries i loved the uh the spinning blades uh, through uh-huh. like both with your cast with your dash and everything yeah, but, the yeah. blade rift the blade rift is good yes yep oh it's so good Lance, anyway get it's with a good it, game <laughs> it's a good game Lance. anyway <laughs> well i mean now that ts has recommended it i guess i'll have to go play it <laughs> I, if that's all it takes man I, i'm not gonna complain if it's gonna get you into the game then awesome good 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 enough for me well good yeah. stuff good stuff so we do have a lot of other stuff to talk about so before we move on to that i do want to take a quick moment to thank our outstanding patron backers um their generous donations help to make this show possible and i finally gave matt an easy one to uh, pronounce i mean you assume I, I'm assuming I'm going to pronounce this right. I can pronounce this person's first name right because it, it, this person and I share a first name. So, Matt Ehler, thank you so much for your support. We appreciate it. Your support and all the rest of our amazing patrons are helping keep the show going. So, thank you uh, for helping us out. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. And uh, oh, You don't have to thank me, Lance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was. No, yes. No, thanks, <laughs> thanks to both Matts. Um <laughs> Uh, if you'd like to join uh, this fine example of what the old world has to offer and buy us a Bugmans, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. For only a couple dollars a month, you can help us to continue to bring you both discussion and actual play in the grim and gritty world of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Check us out at patreon.com slash oldworldpodcast. Um, so let's move on to announcement and news. So this is a part of the show where we keep you up to date on Wolfrup and related news. And man... Um, there's been a lot lately, um, especially for some of our sister games. We'll get to that in a second. But I tell you, man, I, we say this every time something new drops, but it feels like uh, the dark times never happened. I'm starting to forget that they were a thing because 
I don't, we don't have enough time to review all the awesomeness that comes out before more awesomeness gets here. So starting off with some blog articles, I did want to point out, um, we had, uh, up in arms, um, there was an article on the cult of Mermidia, which was a good read, um, going along with the up in arms release uh, that recently happened. We'll talk about that in a quick second, but probably most important to the show we're having today is there was an article written by TS on creating the Imperial zoo. Um, oh, that so, hack. Wait. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> well, well, actually I, I was sitting here. I'm like, well, TS, why don't you tell us what this article is about? I mean, you might, you might have a better idea than anyone. Well, ultimately, I it's kind of a short version of what we'll be talking about during the podcast, right? Or a, a truncated version. But ultimately, I wanted it, the Imperial Zoo to be more than a monster book. Because ultimately, if it's just a monster book, if it's just like, here's a list of things to kill, that doesn't really do the richness of the old world any favors to just say, hey, there's all these things you could go out and kill. You know, here's their stats. Here's what they're like. But also... I, that's just limited to me. We're way beyond the original days where it's just like, well, here's a thing and a random number appear and maybe it has some treasure. Right. <laughs> I, I think bestiaries can advance too in, in how things are presented. So ultimately I wanted it to be inspirational for players and how they might react with the world, but also kind of give GM some tips subtly or not so subtly on you can look at the world through different eyes. And it doesn't always have to be, well, you're adventurers and you go out killing these things. Well said, and uh, we're definitely going to dig more into that. Um, but th- it's a great article. Say, we really can't can't say too much more without yeah. <laughs> just just automatically going into the the uh, main topic. All right, so we'll we'll come back to that. Up in arms, we've already mentioned that. Uh, Up in arms released. <laughs> we are definitely going to be doing a review on this one. I man, what's gosh, man, what's your favorite thing that came out of Up in Arms? I mean, it is a content-rich book mm-hmm. for sure. This is one I think I might have even said uh, just just to you guys that I feel like this is one of the must-own supplements for Wolfrup just because it a it does expand on the the soldier career now instead of just being like a standard infantryman. There's how many like eight or ten different uh, sub careers that all have their own flavor that all have their own advanced scheme and, you know, specific talents and things. In addition, they also added uh, a huge armory of weapons. I think going back to when we first started playing Lance all the way back in second edition, I was like, as we were building our characters, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? I have a hand weapon. Like that's, (laughs) that's not that exciting. Like, what does that mean? You're like, oh, well, it just it counts as like any weapon. It's just a hand weapon. I was like, oh, all right. I mean, it does make sense uh, in a lot of ways, but having a much expanded armory with different weapons that are going to have their different traits and uh, abilities is really is really cool. I am a big fan of open arms with everything that they added. It's a, it's a good one for sure, and one that we it won't be long before you hear us uh, doing an episode on that one for sure. Yeah, I think my the interesting. Go ahead, oh, yes. Well, I just the interesting thing about up in arms, I could start seeing all these nice things because I didn't work on up in arms. <laughs> but that's got a whole range of like, you know, there's some old school Wolfrup people on that. You guys were talking about like, you know, Tony Reagan and Clive are in there. There's the guys that have been with Wolfrup forever. So there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, one Matt didn't mention at all, which makes sense to me, Matt, because there's so much in there. Knights, people that have mm-hmm. been from the beginning, like, yeah. oh, what about the knightly orders? What about you guys kind of glossed over it in the core you're like 
it's true because there's a lot of details to do them justice. And I think this book goes a long way towards, okay, you want to know what the knights look like? Boom. Here is all the knightly orders of the empire. You know, here is them all. And then here are specific examples of a few of them fully done out, you know, as your career, but here's what they look like. So yeah, there's a lot of really great stuff. I mean, there's siege weapons and all the folks that have been like, well, how much does a cannon do exactly? That's in here. There's a fun stuff for hirelings in this book. I just, I think it's a really yeah. solid book too. Yeah. I, uh, for rule sets, uh, I am a gigantic fan of advantage. Um, I've, uh, I've, I have a love hate relationship with advantage in fourth edition. Um, and this, I haven't tried this yet, but I'm excited to, um, a group advantage, uh, seems to fit my style a little bit better. And so, um, I'm excited about those, but, um, my favorite career that came out of that is probably the cartographer. Um, <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, that was the first one that you and I both were like, oh, that'd be so cool. Yeah. Right. Most people are like, what's wrong with you? That was the worst one in the book. And we're like, no, whatever. That one's awesome. So, yeah, good stuff. It says it says a lot about somebody's view on warfare, right? When they look and go, "Who has mo- the most fighting stuff?" Right, right. <laughs> and the funny thing, it doesn't say something to me about the player so much as what it, it tells me about their GM. Like, if your priority is like, "I want the one that's the fightiest," like, mm, okay, man, maybe I'm not fighty enough as a GM, Matt. If <laughs> I don't know if well. I was going to say if today was any example, but I don't, I'm not sure that's the case. Nice. I think I, I decided to fight when maybe the, I didn't need to, but that's okay. It was a good time. Awesome. All right. So sister games, uh, let's get through the news here. Uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar Soulbound Champions of Destruction recently released. Um, you want to play a high fantasy, crazy but um, world where uh, instead of uh, running away from the uh the blood crusher um, or the, uh, you know, whatever demon you might be in front of, um, you run towards it, but you can do that being like an orc or a goblin or uh, I forget what they're called in. Oryx and Gits. Thank you. Which, so again, so I am back when Age of Reckoning, uh, you older folks might remember that game. I played a goblin shaman. And so I don't have the option to do that in fourth edition yet. But this will scratch my itch in Age of Sigmar because I can play a Git Shaman. And uh, there's some pretty cool stuff in there. So, be sure. Did you work on the Champions of Destruction, TS? I did not. I'm actually working on a uh, Soulbound thing right now. I didn't work on that one. But, boy, I can tell you the team that did had a blast. Reading their comments on the Discord was hilarious. (laughs) I bet. Our, Our internal Discord. They all had so much fun doing this. It is the number one most requested of the extra books, actually. Like, some folks definitely wanted the undead. And there are some folks still clamoring they want to play Chaos. But... It's funny how many people desperately wanted Champions of Destruction. Just like, I want to play orcs. I want to play these things. I, I was just like, so you want to ride around on a murder mushroom, huh? Okay, this is the book for you. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, yeah. I, we, did a, we did a review. I don't know if you knew this, TS. We did a review of the, uh, the Age of Sigmar uh, core book. And I think we ended up titling it uh, like Warhammer badassery or something like that it was, yeah it was fantasy injected with badassery. that's right yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty it cool. was it was definitely i know we won't go to it but it was definitely the goal of that to start like the second we knew that you we wanted stormcast eternals to be part of your choice 
choice for the opening characters. Like Emmett and I from the beginning were like, well, if these are going to be part of your opening characters, then you have to start badass and go up from there. Like, because <laughs> these guys are already heroic. So that's your baseline character, like, you know, super bad news and up. Right. So let's go the opposite direction Direction with Warhammer 40,000, Wrath and Glory. And uh, I think it's, it's funny, the three games, right? You have uh, Wolfrip, which is more about, like, the low tier, um, Age of Sigmar, which is, like, the high tier. And then you have, like, 40K, which kind of gives you four options about what tier you want to play. <laughs> which tier do you want to be? Yeah, yeah exactly. do you want to be the badass Space Marine, or do you want to be the uh, Imperial Guardsman and try to survive more than 10 hours? <laughs> so uh, with that great news game master screen and starter set i haven't got my hands on either of these yet but they're high on my list um and uh i'm especially excited about the starter set kind of um setting uh which is like a ship part of like there's a flotilla thing involved and it sounds really cool i haven't got my hands a look at it yet but those are released and you can pre-order and get the pdfs right now um did yeah. you work on those ts <laughs> there's so many things coming out now no i did not no okay I, I i did in a very holistic like i threw out some suggestions but that was mostly we now have multiple teams and, and these days you know it used to be i could say i worked on everything but it's rapidly becoming not i only work on very specific stuff because we're so busy right <laughs> like you two were saying like we have a lot of stuff so uh, what i will say is yeah it's actually the veronius flotilla is what it said. And so Jackal Veronius is the rogue trader that kind of brought the Gilead system hope yeah. after two years of thinking, maybe we're the last humans alive. Like, you know, the Gilead system is completely, uh, for those of you that don't know very quick, wrath and glory is kind of the story of the Gilead system, which is completely encompassed by the great rift. So they are a stable, I guess you could call it a pocket of stability right. within the cicatrix melodictum. So they are, uh, to use the technical term, eft. So <laughs> <laughs> they are they are very much in the deep, and out of nowhere, after two years of this, uh, two years from their point of view, time, as we know, has become quite wibbly wobbly in the Imperium after the opening of the Great Rift. But insofar as they're concerned, they've been at it for two plus years, and then suddenly this massive fleet led by this super heroic seeming rogue trader shows up. Goes, nope, the Imperium still stands. And guess what? A Primarch is returned. You know? <laughs> and he tells them just all this stuff that they're like, this is just insane. Right? But he brings, as, as several things, he brings the most dangerous weapon of all with him. Hope. <laughs> That's so, so 40K. I love it. Uh... <laughs> so, but yes, this pretty much the starter set goes into a lot of things that we've just talked about. Um, and it really, as a setting goes, oh, and here's the flotilla, which for many campaigns is kind of their home. Here are the many ships of the flotilla, why they joined up with Veronius, all this interesting stuff, more about the Veronius, you know, uh, dynasty, uh, rogue trader dynasty and what's going on with him, kind of various stuff like, oh, options for how to set up your game. Because there's a lot of stuff, I mean, you guys probably perceive that from Cubicle 7 in general, but we have a lot of like, here are tools to set it up the way you want it to be, as opposed to, it's just this way. Yeah, well, and I, as soon as I read the concept before it was even released, I was... I mean, I don't want to go too far down the, the rabbit hole here, but the, the concept of the flotilla is, to me, as perfect as a GM because w the ship that I need is there, 
right? Like we haven't talked about it yet, but there's a ship in the flotilla where this adventure is going to take place. There's a ship that has what you need, but you know, and it's so you can always have it like growing and changing and, and it can be a nebulous undefined thing, but it can also grow with your players. So like as time goes on, you know, the, the Imperial, you know, freighter, you know, Carcifinus is now a major story plot because your players made it that way. And how yeah, cool totally. is that? Yeah, absolutely. They actually decided they liked the captain of a ship or like, oh, she's mm-hmm. cool. Or, <laughs> and suddenly that, yeah, exactly. They started dr- moving their campaign because they started actively like, well, we want to help out this person or, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's a, it's a different game for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, you can find all of this and more at cubicle7games.com. But let's get into what we're here to talk about. Um, and to the main meat of the meat of the show, our main topic. And uh, tonight we have TS here to help us discuss the much lauded and hotly anticipated Imperial Zoo. As a primary writer, not only for the Imperial Zoo, but also being the primary writer for one of the most revered B series of all time. We've talked about this. The Wolfrup Second Edition B series. We are honored, and uh, not going to lie, a bit terrified to have TS here to explain the depths of cast depravity that it takes to bring such a tome to existence. So, old worlders, do your research and be sure to hire the right team before you go on that expedition to hunt down a shard dragon. For tonight, <laughs> we discuss and review the Imperial Zoo on this episode of the Old World Podcast. A wonderful introduction, Lance. <laughs> Sounds like so, it should have a little fanfare, doesn't it? Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, <laughs> got to work on that. Um, so to start, we're, we're going to look at the format of the book a little bit. So we've already mentioned this a little bit, that it's we know that it's not a a page-by-page, page, you know, stat block after stat block with, with artwork. Uh, while it does have that, this is set up like a story. So it's broken up into three expeditions along with appendices as well, which are great. Each expedition is told from the point of view of Theodosius Schreiber, who is introduced in the very beginning uh, as an adventurer who is basically hired to go through and go on these expeditions. Uh, And you, you get the backstory of it. You are, you know, explained like why he was selected and why he's going on these. And then, Shortly after that, you get this beautiful two-page layout that is the oh my group that was hired to go with him. Uh, and I love this portion of the pa- book. Pages it, six and seven, you're talking? The, yep. Oh. yep. Two-page two spread of uh, Theodosius and the other five uh, characters that are going with him. And one th- one little subtle thing that I think works really, really well each one of these characters, the five that are shown on here, have a little uh, note that is stamped onto the page. And each one of them has a different colored stamp that goes with it, like a, um, a wax sealing stamp kind of thing. So all you have to do is know those colors. Every time you see uh, that color stamp in the book, because there are little notes that are attached to every single page that are either nailed to the page or have a little you know clip to it that is something some bit of information that's told from that person's perspective. So you can refer back to those, the colors to see that, Oh, this one was this little note was added by Eirik Massenbach, the uh, noble's son or the dwarf apothecary or the Aeonir hunter uh, night song. So it's really neat. Uh, so you're getting this story 
that is being told uh, from these different perspectives. And it just, if it, it feels like so much more and TS, you mentioned that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't just going to be stat blocks that you wanted to give more to the lore and the, the overall story and some of the really interesting elements of the old world. And I think you nailed it with this book. Thank you. Well, one of the things worth noting, too, is you're right that you could just look at the colors. But this is the kind of thing that I think everybody will really get when you guys have the physical book and not just the PDF. Their handwriting, it's their notes. So even their handwriting, like Yoren's handwriting is blocky, you know, like a dwarf's print, (laughs) printing, you know, printing something else. Yoren has this very, very practical, blocky uh, text. Um, whereas Night Songs is this flowing cursive, right? Yeah. Like each of them, it's very distinct, like the symbols and whatnot. And it's worth noting, Gorshkov's handwriting is Theodosius's because Gorshkov's illiterate. Correct. Yep. So oh. whenever you see the symbol for Gorshkov, it actually, it, it notes in kind of in the text that he's actually transcribing, Theo notes he's transcribing conversations with Gorshkov because Gorshkov doesn't write. Vazia does not write. So that's literally when you see his symbol, you'll see that that handwriting is actually Schreiber's. Such so I remember seeing in there that he was uh not a literate man, but that's that's just another little element that that takes this from being a, you know, just just a supplement that has has rules and makes it so much more. <laughs> well, it's it's funny the first time somebody one of our other people noted that because they're like I thought you said Gorshkov's illiterate. His handwriting's really nice. I'm like, uh-huh, look at it, look at Schreiber's. And they were like, son oh. of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, before, the, before the show, uh, Steve, before, Steve was going to join us for tonight's show, and he, wasn't, uh, he had a last-minute thing come up. Um, but we were chatting, and um, one of the things we talked about is it, it – it's like a it's like a journal, like it's a a collection of notes and papers on a, an adventurer's journal. is was part of the research for this book. It's all put together, and it has that feel. And we were saying it's similar. If if uh, this is an older book, but there's a the Dinotopia series, right? Like that books, those books were really cool because it was all this art and stuff. But it wasn't written as like an informational book. It was this is a journal that's taking you through the adventures and we've just kind of documented it as we went along. And I feel like this has that same sort of feel and it's part of the reason it draws you in as a story, not just a collection of stat blocks. Yeah. I think that was certainly part of my thinking in doing it this way. The old world beast area was interesting because I I wanted to split it originally for those of you that don't know the conceit of that one. It's actually kind of a book collected by this guy, Edric of work bad. And the entries from that usually have like the common take on a thing, which was often very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The different voices and perspectives of what things were like by commoners. Every once in a while they were right, but it was the common perspective. And then it was a more learned scholarly perspective on a given creature or, you know, thing. And then the last is if they were sentient enough to speak for themselves, like, well, what they had to say about themselves in their own words, like quotes from those creatures and whatnot. So I was already really interested in things on perspective. And sometimes, you know, I like sometimes narrators that you can't always trust, like unreliable narrators. It has a use. I'll tell you guys something. This is a good point to tell you because one of the original ideas when Padraig and I were kicking it around, like the original take on this, Andy Lon 
I talked about at the very beginning. And when Dom and Andy were like, well, you're going to have to do the bestiary. I'm like, go to hell. So (laughs) 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 there was a discussion like, what should I do? And one of my, this book will never exist, but you two can laugh about it. I thought about completely doubling down and making a book that was just blatant lies. Like the whole thing was um, the bestiaries for people that, well, this is true in real world. Folks did bestiaries of creatures they'd never seen right they just they were described second and third hand and i was like do i want to do that (laughs) by the time i got ready to do it when padrick and i were talking about it i was like i could do this and padrick was laughing like really hard he's like yeah but would it be worth it to like the gms at that point it's just like it's not even worth anything (laughs) it's just blatant lies it's not even worthwhile and i thought about it a long time and i'm like he was right it's useful as an artifact, but it's not yeah. going to be as useful at the table. So sadly, the absolute blatant lies version got tabled. <laughs> maybe, maybe you can convince them for like a two-page spread in, in yeah, an upcoming book. like a little book. PDF supplement or something. Yeah, yeah. something. Yeah. One of my favorite sections from Up in Arms, directly connected, for you, those of you that haven't read it yet, when you get into it, it's hilarious. There is a section in there from a dwarf engineer on shoddy. Yeah. The, oh, it's so good. Yes, it is. <laughs> Just ripping humans apart. The oh. whole thing is hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah it, that's fun. Like, different perspectives are a lot of fun when you can go in and just like show people, like, yeah, but this is how they view this. It's just, it's really good. And that is very much was part of it is like, I want this book to explore the old world from the point of view that somebody that kind of cares, maybe not full on as a scientist, but somebody that values lore and what that means. And so Theo means well, his scholarship is okay, but not rigorous as a full on scholar, right? He's not like a full on professor. He's not so exact that he's not willing to pass along folklore and all the things he's been told. But he does present it as like, he's not like, this is true. He's just like, these are the things I was told by the villagers in this area. Yeah, exactly. The the people that he comes across, the little, you know, like you said, the villagers that that are a lot of times just passing along, around stories about these creatures because they're not always ones that people even, you know, even see. Yeah, Which is exactly. a really, really fun element. I think... It would probably it could probably come up throughout our discussions about this book, lads. But here's probably one of the most important things about why I did this book this way. While it's really this, and actually, I, I can see that we know we, an old worlder, John G, had a question: Why did C7 decide to use this format instead of a more traditional monster manual? And that is a fantastic question, and is at the heart of it. So it was my decision. Like everybody backed me, but it was my decision. And the reason why is because the time of monsters is actually passing in the old world. It is the rise of guns and men, and the monsters are being pushed more and more to the fringes. And I would say they were on their way out, if not for chaos. They were on their way out. Right? Their time has kind of passed. A troop of men all loaded with handguns and cannons and whatnot. There's no yeah. monster in this book they couldn't blow the living crap out of eventually. Right. Right. There's there's a few there's a few horrors from the old days that you know you don't take on the scythe of fire and expect to survive. <laughs> Even with the whole artillery unit. But still the monsters that are that bad news, they're kind of passing from the world. There's not 
that many left like that. And the few that are left have become domesticated for God's sakes, right? Like griffins <laughs> and griffs. And, you know, these creatures that were once like as fierce as the others have either been, you know, turned into mounts or they're on the back end, you know, and that right. is part of why doing it this way as well. Having a book that's like, oh, you should have all these monsters and stuff. That's not really part of the Warhammer fantasy roleplay experience that I think most people would have. Like you would fight some creatures, but it's not really like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. It's not a game where you go out into dungeons to kill all the monsters and take their loot. That doesn't really exist within the old world. Not really. There are places like that here and there, but there are always very specific reasons for why they exist, right? Abandoned dwarf characters, you know, uh, well, <laughs> oh, sorry, the dwarves would never abandon a Karak. Forgive me. <laughs> Force, forcefully yeah. retreated from Karaks. There we uh, go. Yeah. But uh, ultimately, that is not a thing really within the old world. And I wanted this to kind of reflect that reality too, that the old world's kind of passing from Renaissance into it's kind of on the edge of an industrial revolution. It's within, you know, pretty close decades of another huge change. And you can really feel that throughout a lot of Wolfram stuff, that they're kind of on the edge of things changing. And that too is kind of the thinking for why the book is the way it is. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, very cool. You know, it makes it fun for everybody to read too, in this manner. If you do something that's just like, well, this is monsters and they're what they're like, technically should a player ever be reading that? Right. No, if it's just right. like, here's the creatures in their lair. And this is, what they're like but if it's like this it's a story which is a lot more interesting and if anything i think people remember certain creatures from this book more because of the context of the stories about them and what they're like and how they're kind of perceived you know at, at some level within a role-playing game isn't perception reality yeah, yeah and I, I even lance you and i talked about this how this is the maybe the first book that we've seen so far where you could pick it up and just skip over all of the stat blocks and you'd still be able to enjoy it. Like this is something that even somebody that isn't into Warhammer, but is into like fantasy and the idea of, you know, this a group of adventurers going out and studying these animals, you could get a lot out of it just from that, just from the entertainment standpoint. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When I read this, I, I, I did a cover to cover read, um, which I think that's telling right there. I did a cover to cover read on a bestiary. Right. That's, that's that's pretty telling. And the second thing is, is I got done reading it and I realized I'd only really looked at like stat blocks intensely in like two or three times. Like most of the time I skipped right over them to keep reading the story. Like, so yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I, I have an audible question here. Um, Steve, because he wasn't able to join us, he wanted to make sure to ask a a question of UTS uh, surrounding kind of this, this subject. He says, um, how did it feel to, to be asked to work on this again from the time you did the original second edition to this one, you know, h- how did that, was that an honor for you? Like in, in the, he also wanted to know how much free reign did you have in, in the creation of this? I had absolutely free range because that was the price of me doing it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it, it works. <laughs> I said, I, I, for better, I, 
honestly, lads, I could have completely fallen on my face because you, it's very rare. And you guys probably realize this because you read stuff very carefully, but I'm the author of this book. You guys probably see it in the credits. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. I, I'm the author. One, like, one I, name is listed there. Yeah. Yep. Now there are, and now make no mistake, the other names in the additional writing, Elaine and Padre did some really awesome stuff in this book. So that's not to take away from anything that they wrote. But ultimately I knew that I was doing it. And so I was like, if it didn't work, it was I was gonna do the Pratt fall on my face. <laughs> that was gonna be on me for I and that was like Padre and I were laughing about it too. I'm like, if it's glory, it's mine. If it's horror and condemnation, I take it too. You know, like I'll I'll take it. For better or for worse. So that was certainly part of the price of doing it. And Dom knew when he asked me. So the answer to the back into that question is like, I wouldn't say it's terrifying because I've been at this for long enough that like I'm not intimidated, but it's definitely tough. I always tell people that look to Bowie for creative stuff. Uh, David Bowie was an amazing man, amazing creator. And he had a lot of wisdom over the years that I've absorbed. But one of the ones, my favorite that he said is do the projects that frighten you. Mm. Go towards the ones that make you afraid, that make you go like, God, can I do this? Because those are, that's where creativity lies. That's the real, that's where the fire is. Go get burned, you know, (laughs) stick your hands in the fire, you know? So, and that's the, that was part of it. But to give you an analogy that you guys will get because of Adventures of Middle Earth and the Wonder of the Ring, I felt like a bit like Feanor being asked to recarve the Silmarils. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah. the old world beast scary was considered so highly. It was like, okay, that's great. Can you do it again? You know, lightning strikes twice. That's not hard <laughs> to pull off. It's tricky. <laughs> All right, so let's let's get into this a little bit. So the we mentioned that there's the three expeditions. Uh, each one starts with a really nice two-page spread of the uh, artwork from the map that shows the general area where they're exploring to uh, during the first expedition. So um, I, I'm sorry, Matt. I want to I want to no, jump in here real quick because you mentioned the map thing. So this is my I have very very few things that I feel like could have made this book better, and this was my first one. I the way this book is laid out with the expeditions, I immediately assumed that there would be like an Indiana Jones style, like showing <laughs> me the dotted line of where they traveled in their expedition. Um, and I was a little disappointed not to see that. Not that it takes away, but I just thought, man, uh, that would be a cool map for someone to do. I agree. I not legit. I totally agree, Lance. But I know what Pudrick would say. Yeah, everything's got a budget, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. And as it is throughout this book, you know, there's a lot of art in this book. Yeah. There's obviously oh, yeah. there's some reused art, but there's a lot of original art. And as you know, that costs money. So yeah, when you're yeah. beast series, traditionally, if you want to have a lot of art, if you're trying to do new pictures for a lot of stuff, that is all up front. And that's, I don't, I don't know if some of you all listening to this want to think about that stuff, but it's part of the reality of RPG publishing. There is still a budget and stuff to think about with all this stuff. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Especially with something like this that has so many entries, you know, like you said, there's some of the arts reused, but not all of it and not even most of it, just from what I can see going through here. The reuse pieces, and we'll, we'll kind of bring that up too. The reused pieces are generally ones that we don't think a lot of people saw. And if they were used, many of them were from the archives, like from not from Wolfram stuff, 
but from things that GW generously let us, oh yeah, you guys can use art from these archives, stuff that was never going to see the light of day again. So that it allowed us to put some really cool pieces in here that were like, boy, only people that saw this obscure black library publication from 20 years ago have ever seen this. Yeah. So that, that's been really neat to put some stuff like that in here too. So people could be like, wow, look at how cool this is. So, so, uh, so Matt, I feel like this is our time to do our obligatory, um, you know, artwork and, and layout. Cause I don't, I don't think I built that in here anywhere. Yeah. Um, so let me just start uh, artwork. So one of if if y'all remember when we did our review of the core rulebook when it first came out, one of the biggest things that I lauded is thank you, thank you, thank you over and over again was the the B series in the core rulebook had a piece of art for every stat block, and I loved it. It it made it nice and easy, and visualization was good. I remember the Var Golf was a prime example. How do you? How do you describe a Vargolf to somebody? Yeah. Like yeah. to somebody who doesn't have yeah. some idea already, they're not gonna have not right. it's not gonna you won't be able to visualize it the way you can if you see a really kick-ass piece of art. So the thing I want to say is that this book does not have a piece of art for every stat block, but it's dang near. Um, I think I counted like three entries that didn't have it and they weren't with the exception of one, which is the giant insect thing, which I had, I had to go look that up. Like I had to go Google that because I don't remember what it's called. I'm drawing a blank on it. Trigara. Yeah. The Trigara. I had to go look that up. I did not. I'm, I'm ashamed to say, I did not know that was a thing that existed in Warhammer and I had to go look it up. But other than that, like every, almost every single page has a piece of artwork and like, and it's, I mean, it's the quality artwork. Some a lot. There's a lot of like black and white pencil drawings in here, but they're very, very good. Um, and like even things as like the uh, Gray Mountain Hawk has a, a piece of art. So I want to point well, out. You know why there's black and white pencil drawings, right? Uh, because, those are Eric. Those are Eric Mossenbach's pictures. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So it so it's me, in it, it, in universe, but it's also really good quality. <laughs> yeah. And th thematic to what you're holding, right. right? What the book is intended to be. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, it's kind of a weird aside, but the video game Red Dead Redemption 2, as you were exploring that as Arthur Morgan, like the main character of it, you'd come across these weird stuff like all over the place. Like you'll come across a, a spot where a meteorite came and like hit the ground. And every time that you inspect these different locations, you, you, you see him pull out a journal and he draws a picture of it and like the different areas that you stay, like you, you know, for a while you stay in this big mansion and, you know, as you're flipping through his journal, there's entries for all the things that you've done in the game. And then anytime that you come across one of these different events in the world, he draws a sketch of it and it's all just hand drawn. It's all, uh, you know, a pencil sketch and, it's really neat because in, in world, he's a very good artist. So like everything that he's drawing is very, very deliberate. It looks really nice. And this reminded me of that, that, you know, what we're seeing isn't uh, uh, necessarily always going to be a, a high res piece that was obviously, you know, uh, done on a computer program. Sometimes they look like they're just what was drawn at the time. And the, it really, it just adds to that thematic feel of this book that it's not just stat blocks, that it has that overall overarching story from start to finish. What about those corner pieces? I forget what they're called, but you have those little bitty artwork things that are like embellished on corners and stuff. Yeah. You sometimes see that in the old, 
like old documents, manuscript kind of thing. But this is like Warhammerized. Yep. And there's a different one for each different uh, expedition. And I cannot wait to get the physical book because those are going to look so good. Yeah, I forget what those are called too, Lance, but you're right. There's an actual term for those. For yeah. The, like the little corner arts and the bits and pieces. Yeah. yeah like I, I kind of pointed out in the, uh, in the one we talked about earlier, the, uh, the article from our blog, I, I think everybody pulled out the stops to do their best they could with this. And it really shows like, you know, the, the art and everything that went into it. I consulted on a lot of it, but boy, so much of this is like Padre and our artists, like taking as much as just running with it. Our layout folks did an amazing job on it. So. Yeah. There's a lot going on, right? So basically for the majority of the entries in here, it's a two page spread where it talks about, uh, what the creature is, the first one in the book is the Great Stag. So that first page has four paragraphs that detail the experience that Theo had in encountering this or hearing stories about it. And, you know, written from his perspective, you've got a stat block for the creature, like the general Great Stag creature with the stats, with all the, the traits, attack traits, uh, skills and things like we come to expect. But then there's also like a named mini boss kind of thing, right? Like there's tons of great stags everywhere, but the river's shadow is a very specific stag. And they have that throughout where it's, you know, mm -hmm. you have, have both like the general and then a more specialized version of the same thing. Uh, but so on the, that's on the first page, the second page in this example has two different uh, notes that are pinned to the page. One is from the apothecary specifically talking about the different, uh, parts of this creature that can be used in uh making potions and it's just it again adds that that uh that thematic glory in making it really feel like so much more than just you know just a stat block for this creature so doing a named creature that was like a a bigger badder version was that your idea ts it was and i I did a few, and actually, Padraig was like, it's amazing, do more. <laughs> I had just done a few, and actually, that was one of my, my first passes. He was like, nope, nope, we're going to do a lot more of these, because these are awesome. So I went back and actually redid some ones. It's interesting, the Great Stag, though, specifically, most of them, the the secondary one is an individual creature. But the Great Stag is actually kind of an interesting start, because... Uh, Night Song kind of implies straight up the second one is not the great stag that Schreiber uh -huh. thinks of as a great stag. Night Song's like, uh-uh, no, you've never seen a great stag in your life, Schreiber. <laughs> what you're <laughs> describing is a big beast like an elk. And yes, they're magnificent creatures. I've seen them, but that's not a great stag. A great stag is the heart of the forest. And then that stat for the River Shadow is a bit more... Uh, for you anime fans, that's a bit more like uh, Mononoke Hime's, uh -huh. you know, the, the the heart, you know, the forest god, the heart of the forest. The river shadow is a bit more like that, like an avatar of the forest almost. So that one's a little different than some of the others that are often like a unique creature, a unique version of the creature. That one is probably an entirely order, different order of creature. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. arguably. So one thing, just because we're we're on it and we're talking about it. Um, but the new creature trait Grim is first mentioned here in the appendix. It gets a whole uh, breakdown with some more details on it and everything. But I did want to take this opportunity and first off, say thank you. What an elegant solution to uh, 
to a potentially difficult situation for a GM to figure out. Um, but this creature trait essentially allows essentially allows at the beginning of every turn, if you don't have X amount of advantage, automatically get it. And this is important because advantage as a mechanic can is, is designed to sometimes snowball. And so if it's snowballing with the characters or the players often, then there's a lot of mechanical, like cool abilities that really make a monster or a stat block that stat block, but you have to spend advantage to get that to go off. And this is a great way for you to still have the ability to do those really colorful abilities um, and have some advantage to do that with. So um, it's a great idea. And I guess I want to ask you, was this also from the uh, the T.S. Lucart brain? Yeah. Yeah, Grim is entirely me. That was uh, me and a lot of playtesting. But I was trying to find a solution to the problem of multiple, very much a artifact of 4th edition, uh, observed on the Rat Catcher's Guild and other places that when a group of three or four skilled adventurers start pounding on a creature, it almost always creates a death spiral that the creature just can't get out of. They start pounding on it, they get advantage, it gets beat up. It just it starts this spiral that more and more and more beating on it with advantage, and it just doesn't have a chance. Right. And that's not how monsters are supposed to feel. They're supposed to feel frightening. And yeah, the size means, you know, some of the bigger creatures, if it attacks one of them and hits successfully, they could still be in real trouble. But oftentimes that kind of translated to, well, it won't do anything. And one of the things that really made me sad, trolls are one of my favorites for just you know, sheer. <laughs> audacious bad news uh-huh. you know, and the reason why we call this the first thing a slayer gets called is a troll slayer right they're just very bad news well the horrible you know acid vomit of trolls is one of the most distinct woof things and the way we did it mechanically you need to spend advantage to do it so i literally anecdotally was talking to gms that had never had their trolls vomit ever because they never even got the advantage enough to do it and i was just like that's not right. right. <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to work at all. So that was kind of one of my starting grounds for like, well, what if I just said, okay, they could just vomit. I'm like, oh, well, what if I thought about, what if I came up with something that allowed them to have advantage to use? Like, oh, wait a minute, that might have some gas. And that was kind of the beginning of play testing, talking with Dave and Padraig about it, but also like playing through different scenarios and doing, you know, fight club battles where you set up different NPCs and just sit there going, okay, let me fight these things and see what happens if I do this. And then handing it off to a few folks to play with it and go like, use this thing I'm working on. Tell me how it works. And pretty much all the feedback was universally positive. Like other than some folks that didn't like to use advantage too much, they are just like, oh, this is great. And, uh, and kind of a side note, if somebody's like, well, I'm not really big on advantage. I actually had an original note that Padre's like, ah, no big deal. We'll figure it out later. But actually, I'm like, well, if you don't really like advantage, but you like part of what this represents, give a plus 10 bonus to attacks for whatever their level of grim is, if you're not somebody that uses advantage. So if something says a grim two or three, on the attack, they're plus 20 or plus 30. Because that reflects the fact that most creatures with grim are ambush attackers. Right. They're actually uh, tending to ambush, rip the crap out of you, and then retreat while you bleed to death and or maul the body and take it away for eating. 
Oh, I was going to say, you've obviously spent some significant time thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that is how that was supposed to work. But uh, so far, it, everybody has really liked it or thought, oh, man, that works well. And actually, you paid me one of the best compliments, uh, Lance, because we again, is usually uh, one of the compliments I give to things, too, that work smoothly without adding whole new mechanical stuff. You say, oh, that's an elegant solution. You know, that that makes it better without having to suddenly have yeah. you remember a dozen new rules or extra stuff. So. Uh, yep. yep. Yeah. And in our experience, we've only had a couple of circumstances where we have fought, you know, creatures that are, that have a huge amount of traits uh, and different skills and talents. So being able to streamline that in any way is going to be helpful and just speeds up battle, speeds up combat um, and gets people back to role playing, which is, yeah, which is totally. good stuff. I will say well, and- I, I did get troll vomit to go off, didn't I? I'm almost. I think so. I did. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I don't think I think we were able to avoid it in one way or another. But yeah, but yeah. I just remember Thor being unconscious, drunk, and swimming in it. That is something. <laughs> so, as, as any good Slayer would. Yep. All right, so let's move on. I wouldn't, and just for our listeners, we're not going to go through like super in depth on each one of these. We're going to hit hit uh, some of the more important ones. Although, if I'm being honest, I could sit here and do this all day. Right. Fair. So, the the next entry is for of spiders and forest goblins. So this one is uh, four pages for this entry, and it's got uh, essentially one or a two page spread for uh, spiders, and then a two page spread for the goblins. Um, and it's done this way because they are connected, which we'll explain here in a little bit. Um, one of my favorite stat blocks in the whole book is for the uh, Arachnorok spider. And I love this idea. As I was reading through this and kind of picturing it, it made me think of uh, playing RPG video games, specifically World of Warcraft comes to mind, where like you enter this new you know location of the map and you're looking around, you're like, oh, there's some cool stuff here. And then you see an enemy off to the off in the distance and they've got a big red skull next to him. And that's to say, hey, dummy, this is way too big for you to fight. Run away or you're going to die. And I can't help but think that the majority of the entries in this book are should have that little red skull next to their, <laughs> yeah. their name so that we know. I will. Um, I, I remember one of the first things I said after this PDF came out is I think I put a comment out on our, our Twitter that said something akin to, GMs, if you're if your players are having a problem with too much fate, I have a book to recommend to you. <laughs> we'll get that. I remember. Right I now. remember that there were folks that, that that got mentioned in the office. People laughed about it. <laughs> nice. One thing I want to mention um, about the spiders um, on for the Drakwald Mancatcher, which is a giant spider. Inside the stat block, it does have some other like semi like lore related uh text that's in there in italics which is nice because it is important in this case it says uh when facing an especially irksome or dangerous foe giant spiders will often retreat to the trees and use their ballistic skill to hurl uh strands of webbing at their opponents which is neat right like that could just as easily have been added into the text but you're not going to see you know theo's not going to be writing about your ballistic skill so even you know peppered in throughout the different stat blocks there's there's those little bits that a gm should know in order to use that uh stat block and that creature to its highest effect but it's not something that should be in this case in the rest of the book so uh very very fun going through and catching those little bits uh in the various stat blocks it's a nice addition 
So I know we're, we're not going to spend a ton of time on every single stat block and everything, but this is the first stat block that does something unique compared to, when well, I wouldn't say unique, but different from all the other stat blocks, which is the related piece that you mentioned, Matt. Um, so at first when I was just flipping through, you know, you get your first, the PDF and the first thing you do is just flip through really quick and look at art and try to grasp the concept of what's going on. And at first I stopped and I'm like, there are goblins in here. Like this was, you know, I, it surprised me, but I see it's because it's attached to like, a, a, almost like a symbiotic relationship. So right. I was hoping you could talk about that just a little bit, TS. Like, what was your thought process with this? Um, you know, why did you make the decisions you did? Like, there's some night goblins and with the cave squigs and things like that. Like, what was your process there? Well, Theo hates goblins, and I thought that was hilarious. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, if you don't get it, it's very subtle. This is the kind of you read through once or twice. Theo has a slight limp caused by something that happened to him in his days in the Border Princes when he fought uh, basically night goblin tribes. And uh, he hates them. <laughs> it comes up a lot. <laughs> Subtly or blatant throughout, you know, throughout the different uh, texts. So why I put it there, I think one of the universal things that spiders get, every once in a while people use spiders, but so frequently, right, we think of spiders being ridden by forest goblins. Like it's such a, the two are so connected that I was just like, I can't really in good conscience think about writing about the giant spiders and not noting. And they almost always have forest goblins with them. Right. Right. And that, that's kind of lame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just to say like, Oh, by the way, look up the stats for forest goblins someplace else, you know, cause they ride. So when I was writing that, I was like, okay, Theo's writing this book and it's an aside of something that, would he write about it for a while? And I'm like, yeah, it's an aside. And uh, if you know what older bestiaries are like in our world, there's some fascinating stuff that I thought about doing that I didn't. Like one is, you know, bestiary entries used to have like entries on unusual gemstones. Really? I did not know that. Beast old, old world is in our old world. Old bestiaries are really fascinating. I read a couple of them. Uh, some of them have been translated. You guys can find them if you Google about it's really interesting stuff that like they'd have odd stuff, right? Like some things on things we'd think of as completely mundane, like an entry on cats, right? And dogs. And then it would be on hippogriffs and hippopotami and, you know, rhinoceri. And then there'd be one on rubies and carbuncles. (laughs) Yeah. Just like wild stuff. Like uh, these have interesting properties because it was almost like a collection of interesting lore bits that the scholar put together. Right, curious sort of thing. Yeah, and I and I knew if I just like flat out like suddenly put a discussion of gemstones, like everybody be like, "Has Lucart lost his mind? Like, (laughs) what is this entry? Like, there's just suddenly these odd entries." But I wanted some of that energy to still be there. That stuff that people would like. Well, that's an odd choice of entry. Like things that would go, and that's it's kind of a reflection of the personality of the person that wrote it, right? Yeah, Schreiber's just like you know, oh. Oh, I hate goblins. I'm going to talk a little about goblins. I freaking hate them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Talks about goblins a little and he goes, okay, enough of that. You know, and he even apologizes to the reader. Like, thank you for indulging me. Basically, you know, I, I know these things are horrible. Okay. Moving on. You know, <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I can't in good, good conscience move past this without talking about the forest goblin shaman, which can cast miracles of the spider God. Uh, and, as listeners probably know, I, playing a 
you know, my main character I play as is a warrior priest. So I'm constantly looking at miracles. I just think religion is such a fun part of this world. Uh, so there are three sample uh, spider God miracles in here. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because there's a part where we're going to talk about things we like the most. One of them, one of these miracles is called the plague of scuttling. And when cast with a snap of the shaman's fingers, a mass of ephemeral spiderlings rush out of his soiled robes to overrun his nearby foes biting as they run. And Oh my God, if I don't have goosebumps and like that horrible chills through my body as I'm reading that. Cause that sounds so freaking cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just had a shiver. Just yeah. It's the idea of being overrun by spiders. No, that's no, good stuff. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a, that's fun though. I, I think actually it's funny. That's actually one of my favorite set of voice comments from Theo throughout the entire book is in that, is in that entry. <laughs> I'm no theologian, however. So, Defer to a fair number of priests who have all strongly assured me there is no such thing as a spider god. I doubt this fact <laughs> provides much comfort to the many people sacrificed in its name. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. So we've got uh, just going through some more of these quick. Obviously, gentlemen, feel free to, to chime in if there's any points that you want to jump in at. Um, the Great Wolf is in here. Again, this is one that has both a stat block for the, a standard Great Wolf and then a named wolf as well. Um, that creature is freaking dangerous. I am going to chime in. Rakos is freaking dangerous. I did a bunch of play tests with them, and that that wolf can slaughter a base party. His own pack, which is a, a special trait, uh, gains an extra free attack each turn and counts as two opponents. That's yeah, such that a not, big deal. That is, yeah. Outnumbering in in fourth edition is one of the the best ways, if if you do it right as a GM, to uh, to try to knock a a powerful party down a notch, and not needing to maneuver to do it with multiple, like just having one thing that automatically has a higher count and also can't be outnumbered except for higher ratios. That's a big deal. Yeah. Another prime example of uh, you see this in the wild. It's got a little skull next to its name. Well, an interesting thing is most of the time you guys will see throughout it. Most creatures don't have improved skills. Uh, Very rarely do they have higher skills unless they're a unique creature or there's a couple of different reasons why in Rakos's case, he became better at it because he was thrown into the pits and survived. So that's why he has a skill of 75 with fangs. 75. That's rough. 75. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is bad news. He is absolutely bad news. No, he does not have grim. Yeah, I I was going to say, I'm like, he just needs grim. (laughs) I gave him grim at one point and it was too much. (laughs) He was already (laughs) phenomenally dangerous. And I even at one level of grim, it was like, oh, that's 85. Like, oh, man, (laughs) it was just too bad. It was like I, I starting party like didn't stand a chance with the spread of your average 35 to 45 tops you know maybe the person's got 50 if they're super dedicated melee out the gate <laughs> like okay so he's already 25 up on that fighter like, right yeah he's bad news very very bad news so where two gms paying notes that single two-headed wolf is bad news <laughs> all right we've got uh moving on we've got the razor gore in here uh griffin the next one that I that stood out to me was the Dreadmaw. 
Yeah. Uh, just a horrifying look at this thing. Uh, basically like a giant sandworm with, oh, I don't know, about a thousand teeth. <clears throat> this one had uh, the story to it really stuck out, and it's done in several parts. One portion of it is where uh, Theo's talking about how they could damage it. And the, the soldiers are like, oh, you know, if we had a cannon, that would that would help. Uh, and you hear a harsh laugh ring out. The entire crowd in the tavern uh, fell silent to look at a heavily scarred slayer bearing the largest axe I'd ever seen. And in this case, there's rules for being swallowed by this creature and having to fight your way out from the inside. And come on. <laughs> How cool is that? Yeah, that, that it is worth noting this dwarf skin was covered with what appeared to be extensive burn scars. Yes. <laughs> yeah, even his name. When I asked, he was. I learned he was called Belagol Iron Skin, a famed slayer who'd failed many times to die. That is, and yes, yeah. he was quite serious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, T.S., you're. I, I. I. hear the love of dwarves in your in your uh, in your writing and in your uh, in your voice. Uh, I, I will note that uh, through these expeditions, uh, they went through um, or stayed at no less than four dwarf holds. Wow. <laughs> you, you didn't know that? I did, but I, I don't usually, I didn't think about it as much in those terms, but yeah, they did. <laughs> they, yeah, they did. Four dwarf holds. Like, and I'm, I'm like, I was impressed. I'm like, oh man. Like, this. well, when you're traveling with a dwarf wren, it helps yeah. quite a bit. Oh, right. I, yep, and that's, yep, that's and fair. That fact that they're traveling with a dwarf woman is a big, big deal in Warhammer in the old world, right? Because the dwarves are not prejudiced at all against their women, but they definitely do kind of treat them with kid gloves, even when the women get really angry at them for doing so. Because they know that, you know, they're relatively, you know, they're, you know, the elder race, they're kind of probably on their way out. They're certainly, their numbers are less than they once were. So it's definitely a big deal with them that like they're showing up with the dwarf apothecary and that, and I, I think it's very explicit in the third one, right? He pretty much says like the only way, reason we got through was because of Yaren being with us. Like, right. They were quite clear that without her, we probably wouldn't have been allowed through. So. Fascinating. Should be noted that uh, Dreadmaw introduces another new creature trait as well, which is burrow. Yeah. Allowing it to tunnel under the earth. I love the line in here too. Uh, one does not see a burrowing dreadmaw coming for them. They feel it rumble in the earth, signaling doom. Oh, so good. Yeah, the uh, the I gotta tell you, dreadmaw was one I had to think about a long time because I think they're really cool and they're very flavorful. But there, as you can, there's a lot to this because the full oh, yeah. sw slime swallow hole, all the things to do them justice. I was like, wow, I have to write a lot of rules to do that correctly yeah. <laughs> I, this might but, be the largest stat block i've ever seen i mean it is I, basically the full length of a page i, I think there's a lot in there but yeah i think you're right because it's basically if i moved slime and swallow hole away it would suddenly be short like the rest mat right it, but then right. there'd be a whole big extension in the back for new creature traits <laughs> right? right where you have the yeah. whole list for swallow hole burrow would have been someplace and else. that's that's really what stands out right the whole idea of being swallowed by this creature and fighting your way out like that is such a neat thing and you know why not include it if you're going to do it it seems like the perfect spot for it yeah and uh, i can't but, imagine this is a creature that like people are going to see every day so you know it might exactly. have a lot of rules but if you only have to worry about reading those rules you know for the one session you fight this thing then 
then so yeah, be it. Totally. I guess I I guess I'd put two last things on there. It was interesting. A slime is a breath weapon that you could add to anything else. I and I wrote it that way so you could take slime out and use it for breath. Right, so breath slime you could actually add to other creatures. That's totally like a chaos creature that just spit spit slime all over you. Right, like that's an easy lift. Is basically what I'm saying. Like that was written so it could easily be taken out and stuck into a different creature. And uh, uh, GW, bless their hearts, let me get in a really cool uh, lore reference on this one, which is pretty neat. I'm glad that uh, they let it slide and said, "Yeah, that was cool." So. That would be in Night Songs. Uh, uh, not sorry, Night Song. That uh, that one's from our uh, our mage actually. Uh, when she notes the distant hinterlands of Kuresh and the fabled Blood Naga Queens. Oh, I I didn't realize that was a sensitive one. But the I, I know the Naga Queens were really really old. But that's cool. Was is, there was there pushback on that one? It's not sensitive so much as that's pretty old lore. Yeah, that yeah. is very old lore. And but they were like, no, no, there wasn't pushback. They were totally thumbs up. Good, good. Well, cool. Yeah, I know. I've 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 heard of them, but I just like you said, it's just been a while. <laughs> yeah, that's like well, as it is, we're now. It's interesting to talk about, right? Because we're going back to the old world next year. I think. I think 23 is probably the year, right? But back to the old world we go, and we already had Creative Assembly as Shonis Kithay and a, a new, as always, take on Kislev. So suddenly, yeah. you know, old lore suddenly becomes really relevant. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I imagine that Cubicle 7 will be working closely with GW to uh, hopefully have alignment. Um, where I know in the past the uh, the battle game and, and the RPG were not as aligned as maybe everybody would have liked. I think I don't go out on any limb or any trouble to say that, yeah, you'd see total alignment. I mean, you could see what we're doing with Soulbound. Like, we, mm-hmm. we definitely work. Elaine and her entire team, everybody works hand-in-hand with GW to keep everything pretty in line with what's going on in Age of Sigmar, right? So... Yeah. I think the interesting thing is, though, remember, they're going close to two centuries before our timeline. They're going I back to the end of the... I did know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, no, yeah, it's I the end of that. the Three Emperors era. Yeah, it's a really cool time. They're going back really? to the end of the Three Emperors. Yeah, there's all kinds of neat stuff. It's a... Uh, it's the time before Bretonia became what we think when the Dukes all stand separately. When Leon Leonkauer has to say fi- uh, the largest uh, wog in history since the wog that Sigmar himself broke at the Blackfire Gates is coming for Bretonia. And that's like he's kind of doing this epic Arthur, like, if you don't stand with me, we'll all die apart. He's yeah. gathering the different uh, groups of Breton to actually become what we would think of the modern Bretonia, because if they don't, the orcs will kill them all. Yeah, I, there's a lot of really how cool did stuff. I miss that? I yeah, Teclis of Ulthuan hasn't yet come to the old world because the great war against chaos hasn't happened. So magic in the empire is illegal. So mages in that game are all going to be like un- unaligned hedge wizards. And uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of really cool stuff out huh. of that. Huh. Fascinating. Okay, I have some homework to do after this show. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's a really interesting time. It's it's really neat that they chose. However, I to finish that th- thought, 
But their informed take on both what Creative Assembly did and, of course, what will retroactively be so. Obviously, when we get around to Kislev, I guarantee that our version of Kislev will very much be a reflection of part of what Creative Assembly did with Kislev, plus, you know, chatting with GW and our take on it. But certainly, you know, I fully expect to see Polar Bear Cavalry and all that stuff because that's what Creative Assembly did and it's cool. So, yeah. You know? <laughs> so that is definitely the kind of stuff that would, I, I imagine, would appear should we get around to Kislev. So. Nice. Yeah. I, I have a I have a theory. I feel like there's a goal. So, oh yeah, yeah. What, what's our goal? <laughs> uh, I think I think that the goal is to use Salzamund as the port and the new seafaring book as the means of travel, and that we're going. That my my guess is that Kislev and Nordland are not that far away some sort of source book for those areas potentially. And what I said Nordland, but I meant Norska. So that that's my that's my theory and I I imagine I would love to see Albion um and we already know that we're going to see Blustria, but I'm wondering if like the vehicle to start to move outside of the empire has been that that has been laid down with the uh, Salzamund and the the Sea Book that's coming, the Sea of Claws. Absolutely, Salzamund and the Sea of Claws are launching for a lot of other things. That is definitely true, and I have no problem telling you that that is correct. Nice, nice. I will tell you even once more, Cubicle Seven's epic adventure we're doing, not the Enemy Within, but our own, is triggered and started with those. Pretty much Salzmund and the Sea of Claws sets up for our big epic adventure that we're doing. Awesome. Which is most certainly not going to be five parts. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was gonna. I was sitting there and I'm like, 10 books took a yeah, lot of resources. We're not going to do that. No. Okay. Yep. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, no, no five slash 10 books again for us. No. <laughs> okay. No, that's cool. That's cool. So Lance, yeah. uh, you excited to take our, our crew on the high seas? Because dude, the second that book was released, I man, I already have a map that I put together for what boat you're going to be on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you do. I want you on this boat. <laughs> no, I got it. The name might change, but I have a map because I imagine you're going to be spending some time there. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you'd be surprised how much research I put into like old timing sailing vessels and where were the bathrooms and like uh, how how was the cargo situated? Like, yeah, I'm a nerd. <laughs> yeah, where were the bathrooms? Put your butt out of the yeah, front yeah. of the boat, <laughs> porthole, and go. <laughs> All right, so we got a lot of book to cover. Yeah, so we'll we'll uh, the rest of the first encounter. We've got uh, the Rhinox in there of squigs and night goblins. Um, we have dragons, which I gotta stop here. So dragons has the the forest dragons is your your core stat block, and then we have Caladere, uh, the scythe of fire, quite possibly the most horrifying creature I have ever seen in Warhammer. Yeah, or three, at least in fourth edition, coming in at a whopping forty four wounds. <laughs> Yep. Every yep. bestiary needs a tarasque. Yep. <laughs> so that's a full TPK. 
uh, if that ever comes out. I, I do have a question here. It's oh, she's yes. she's an a, she's an APK. You can have your question, Lance, but she's an APK. That would be army kill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm so man. I feel like the 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 nice thing about this format is it does set us up for more expeditions. And the reason I say that is like, well, we got a forest dragon. But there's so many other dragons in the, in Warhammer lore, sun dragons, fire dragons, and like you know, there's a massive. We we also have a shard dragon later on in the book, right? So like, man, is there? And I know you can't talk about future releases, but let me let me ask you this: um, Do you have any desire or potential um, desire for yourself to write a Imperial Zoo two? I think. I think I'm probably done, lads. I'm not certain if I have a third beast area in me. I had to think <laughs> of I had a decade plus between one and two to think. I'd be alarmed. I could see writing section uh, entries and stuff. That would be fun to do. Mm. Like I and I certainly think there's uh there's a certainly a place for other bestiaries and other expansion of other creatures and parts of the old world. Like, boy, I'd love to do cafe. Like we're really yeah. like hoping that when all is said and done between us and creative and civil and GW, we could do something with cafe. So yeah, there's a lot of neat stuff to be done and brand new creatures and whatnot. Cause obviously the dragons of cafe are a very different take on yes. dragons yeah. and a lot of the other, and there's supposed to be all kinds of other creatures in cafe beyond even like those awesome terracotta samurai war- warrior things. And, the other stuff running around. It's just, uh, I'm not certain that if I, if we were to do a same, the same that I just did, it, then it becomes like an awesome ramp. Like, and here's another expedition. Right. 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 That's so fair. I'd have the to right way to do that would be, you know, in whatever supplement you're going to, you're going to have a, uh, an entry similar to this, have it be, you know, an excerpt from the ninth expedition, and, you know, set up or uh, as sent by this person who, you know, traveled here and then have it that way. You're not committing to another 140 pages worth of. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, totally. But, man. And I, I'll tell you, it wouldn't be Schreiber either. It would be because he's right. done. Right. Yeah. He has moved on in his life. But it would make sense that there were that the zoo so successfully did these expeditions from their point of view. They got a bunch of inter- interesting research stuff. Now, unfortunately, the tome that they thought they were going to publish <laughs> got burned. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but there would be interest in further research. That's certainly true. So that actual the thought of expeditions to find out more knowledge of creatures that thought doesn't suddenly go away. So yeah, it's it's an interesting question. And I know that I mean if anything too, it's a compliment because people read it and go, Oh my god, I want more is ultimately right. the right <laughs> please more. This is so good. I want more. So. Yeah, I, I, to finish that note and move on though, Caladera's beyond freaking bad news. I was pointing out in the Rat Catchers Guild like an example of what Caligaro could do, and they were all just horrified. So uh, the brief example for y'all. So she's a exceedingly competent spellcaster with fire. And because of how her breath weapon worked, if you know how Akshi and the Laura fireworks, you get bonuses for things that are on fire. <laughs> so great. the first thing Caladera does if she's in a playful mood is to breathe on folks and set them on fire in a big swab. And then she probably gets a plus 30, 40, 50 bonus to her first cast, if not higher, because a bunch of things are on fire. <laughs> 
with the starting do it. language magic of 105, how many success levels are you? And, instinct, and instinctive diction too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Calidare's. That. That, that's Calidare just playing around. That's like not even her <laughs> bothering, you know. Nice. You know, to say nothing of at this point when you've got you know a monstrous creature and her, she could just pick people up and take them up and drop them. You know, right? A particularly annoying and a, a particularly annoying night. She just goes grapple, height, toss. You know, <laughs> let gravity do the hard work. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you seem to be armored and might actually have some enchantment to deal with my fire. Let's see how you do with gravity. (laughs) All right, finishing up the first expedition, we have uh, entry for a wyvern. We have uh, a really fun two pages on Halagrunzer the Horrible, who is a giant spy with a really interesting uh, bit of story in there as well. Which are the cover art really sets that home to you. I certainly, we've had people look at the cover and go, what is up with the cover? And once they read it, they go, Oh, oh sweet. Yeah. That, that was me. I was like, that's the cover. Interesting. And then when I got to this part, I was like, yup. <laughs> it's funny. It sense. It's funny too. Cause that's actually the second take on, uh, they did, uh, we did several passes on what Caladera should like for GW. Because uh, GW, this was one of the only entries that I got pushback on. They actually, uh, they really liked pretty much everything that I did with few, few exceptions. And one was the first pass on uh, Halagrunzer was very different. Uh, my first pass for the giant was an individual character, but her name was Ebodoralana, and she was actually a giant scholar. And um, she was actually a really fun character too. But uh, GW is like, oh, bridge too far, mate. Like, we trust you more than most, but that's such an edge case. It's such an edge case, TS. We just don't think it'll fly. And they told Patrick, they're like, it's really well written because TS, but uh, it's just, it's so much of an edge case. We don't think we can let that fly. So I had a long chat. Padraig and I talked about it and I was like, okay, I have another take on a giant that might be fun too. And I pitched that one and they were like, oh yes. Oh boy, that sounds great. Yes, that one. And that one, it went over so well, it became the covers. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I I will say my favorite picture that you guys won't get to see because it ended up being not approved, but we actually have uh, early sketches of Halligrunzer where he's gritty. Like he looks like happy. Like he's been drinking, so he's a little <laughs> slot happy. Yeah. It, it actually, it's such a great picture. I wish I could show you guys. It got verboten, but like they were like, that is fun, but it isn't quite our take on giants, right? Like they're like, right. it's it's fun, but we're already like they're, they they kind of were like, we're already bending a little here for you, but pal, like you know, work <laughs> with us. And I was like, okay. And then what came back is what you guys see on the cover, and I think it's still great too. That's a good take on on Hal as well. That, oh yeah, you know, this is you know him kind of garrulously talking and sloshing and he's talking, so uh, it, it's still good. But yeah, that was one of the entries that had the most, I, I'd say, finagling. Like there was a couple of passes of like, well, we need to get that one just right so they feel good, like it's giant enough to be approved, but it's okay if it's not entirely what you expect. So he he was one of the ones that went through the most. Of all the things in the book, he went through him. So, of course, he's one of my favorites because <laughs> the stuff that you have to work on the most, you go through the most. 
and actually, I don't want to give it away here, but like Silvergren's comments, I think are just such a punch. Like the, yeah. Oh, yeah. the whole talk with him and like what happens is just, a, I think it just sells that one. Agreed. Love that uh, his trappings are a heavily reinforced drinking stein, which counts as a hand weapon, a random assortage of coins uh, worth 60, 10 shillings and an unrivaled booze collection that, <laughs> uh, that fits quite well. All right, so finishing off the first expedition, we have a stir pike, and then each expedition ends with a coda, which is another just brief story that outlines, uh, you know, the adventure that was taking place in uh, finding all of this. And then maybe my favorite part of this book is uh, each of the adventures or each of the expeditions ends with an incident. The first one is called the Griffin and the rat men. And I, I hate, I don't really want to, to say too much, right? Because I feel like this is like certainly in spoiler territory for the intrigue and uh, some of the fun stuff that's in this book. So consider what you're saying right there, right? We're, we're talking about spoilers for a bestiary. It's so (laughs) cool. (laughs) Yep. It's definitely takes it. I think is one of the first times like throughout the book, I think you could read it and be like, okay, it's an expedition. These things happen. But the first time you read the code of the first expedition people, you know, various readers have told me, Oh my God, that was a gut punch. Like the first time they were like, these are real characters. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, these people, have, these characters have a reality to them. That's just, and that's just heartbreaking. But then you follow up with the first incident and you go like, okay, there's a lot more going on in this book than just, you know, a a recitation of, oh, here's all these stats and this is what's going on. And I actually think Kissy Ann's story is really sad too. Her note, like the connected note and about Master uh, Ludwig Ruhold and his Mm -hmm. life, it's really sad too. Like what she discovers and then like... uh, Schreiber's final note that's actually one of the rare times when he may, appends a note to one of the notes that you know he's said from one of his companions because that's you know she has uh Christiane has her note and then Schreiner kind of has his final note on him which is just I actually it's very sad obviously yeah I so I, man we'll get to I'm gonna save my comments about the whole story for the very end for the afterward but um i i will say that uh it's it's so good you could pick up this book and and look at it and see okay it's a b-series there's information about these but i'm I'm telling you if you get a chance get this book and read it read it cover to cover like you would a book there's a story here and it's really cool yeah, like don't even worry about stat blocks. Don't even look yeah. at that stuff. Yeah, you could get a lot, a lot of entertainment value just from reading it that way. Yeah. So, um, I should mention that. So, this uh, incidents also have stat blocks with them, um, for right. related to the incident. So, I think that it's a sneaky way that TS was able to get us more Skaven stat blocks, which was awesome. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, it's it's great. So I guess I don't want to spoil the story too much, but it's all like connected and it builds. Um, and so this is first part. I don't think this is a tea giveaway, but I know you guys know Garbag Games. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. You know Garbag. Yep. I, I'm pretty certain he he could maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's the one that said I am unstoppable is my favorite trait ever in anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that sounds like Pete. If I actually, <laughs> I talked to Pete yesterday, actually. So, yeah. Um, I thought it was him, but I, I'd heard that, like, on the guild and a couple of the folks they were talking, but they were laughing hysterically about that one. So, good stuff. All right. So, um, we did. Uh, so, I guess before we move on, um, we did have a question here, um, and then okay. I do want to talk about the favorite stat block things, um, real quick. Uh, but old worlder question. So, this is Nolan asked. Um, do you work, and we kind of answered this a little bit, but maybe uh, if we can go a little more in depth, do you work closely with GW on what creatures and monsters are included in the book? Like, are there creature monsters that might be off limits or being held for future releases, etc.? cetera? Uh, an interesting thing is GW gave us, while they get you know checking vetting rights, they gave me full authorization to put whatever I wanted in there. Like, I could pitch whatever I wanted. So... I can't think of anything off limits per se, though I will note one or two, but I pretty much pitched what's in there. And with few exceptions across the board, they were like, yep, everything TS wants. Yep, yep, yep. Like they didn't argue with me at all, which it, honestly, guys, it's fascinating that they let me put some monsters in here that the miniatures will probably never come around again. Some of the ones that came mm. from Forge World, you yeah. know, they've taken those off and they're probably not coming back. And they were like, nope, cool. It's all good. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there that they were like, yeah, go for it. They let me get away with it. If That's I was really got to be a great feeling. Like, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. You've got that kind of freedom to just to do I it mean, right. And the, do it. I'd say there's only like, there's, there's one that'll come up later and I won't say now we'll, we'll talk about it later, but the two in there that are kind of odd. When I look at the history of Wolfrop, like weird stuff that could come back around. Famir, which they did allow in the core, right. With all mm -hmm. their, kind of messed up history that we all know of the Famir right. and Zotes, right? I thought Zotes were done and done. And that was one of the few things in the, in the past I've been told they're gone. And then they brought the freaking Zote back for, uh, for uh blood bowl. Yeah. I so I, I never asked about Zote because I thought they were long gone and then back comes the Zote. So I didn't even think to pitch a Zote or I would have tried. <laughs> 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 like I thought that's long gone, you know? Now, Famir, uh, I'm not giving anything away because it's not any specific thing. But I can tell you that we do want to do something serious with the Famir. Because uh, if you're going to address the Famir, you need to direct, uh, address them correctly. Thank and you. And they are a fantastic villain from Wolfram history. But, you know, not to dance around the fine point, their history was written at a different time. And it's pretty freaking horrible. Right. So you kind of have to say, well, if we're going to nod to that, you need to handle it with a very different light and how it's presented. And I'm not certain if it's even necessary or if they were just going for shock value even back in the day. Yeah. So, right. but that said, uh, I think I, you guys, I think you reviewed it at one point, but uh, the thing we did on goblins went over really well, the PDF on the, on the goblin tribe. Yeah. We love that one. And uh, I know Dave has plans. Lord knows we're busy with a lot of things. But between Dave and Podrick and I, I do know that doing a, a Famir colony has been a thing we've talked oh. about. And uh, yeah, we may yet, that may yet happen. So I can say, I can say this safely because I know nothing. But uh, I definitely think that that's a thing that we'd want to address someday in PDF at least. I think it's worth doing. So that's the kind of thing, though. But once again, that would be a sentient creature who is not a monster. So why would that appear in a bestiary? Right, right. 
though God knows everyone that knows of the Femir, the, the bell ringers in the fog calls them monstrous. <laughs> they don't mean it from a creature monster point of view. You know? Right. Yeah, they're worth doing. They're a great villain of war. I, I just, I, they need to be done well. So I certainly think they're worth doing one of these days. We just need to do them well. So they're they're one of those things that if they, well, I, I'm not, I don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole on this, but yeah, I agree. I I think there's something there, and it will it can really add to Wolfrup, and and make some unique and challenging, um, and if done right, still could be like a dark, scary sort of monster. Have, that have you have... guys ever, did you guys ever read the beast, uh, the addendum I wrote for the second edition bestiary? I don't think so. The I've got den- just the printed the copy of it. It's- I wrote the Femir for the old world bestiary in the style of the old world bestiary. You can find it online. If you Google it, Andy law and I did it. It's actually how I met Andy law way back in the day. Wow. Andy was an art artist, and I had it said like, yeah, I actually wrote the entry for the mirror, Famir in the old world bestiary style, but Famir they said verboten for uh, second edition. And Andy contacted me, and he said, "Hey, I'm willing to illustrate it if you actually wrote that up. I'm willing to illustrate it." And we actually did it. So that PDF exists out on, and that's actually my take on the Famir or my old world bestiary take on the Famir. So to stop dancing around the point. My take is they kidnap women because they actually transform them into Famir. And I think that I've read that before. So now that you mentioned that, I think I have read that before. But I, I guess I must not have realized that you had done it because I, I yeah. Feel that like I my really... my take is that Famir have become uh, because of their packs and what happened to them. They're a completely infertile race. Right. So in order to perpetuate their numbers, they have to steal human women and transform them into Famir, basically. Which I thought was suitably horrifying, right? And yet true to the spirit of the original, without going into the more grosser aspects of the original, right? Good stuff. So, favorite favorite entry from the first expedition? Uh, oh, me. Cal- <laughs> For me, Calidare is definitely high on that list. Um, I also, and I, I mean, it, it could be anything, but I love more miracles so the spider god miracles in there like immediately my eyes just shot to that that page uh and i enjoyed that quite a bit ts i obviously am in a weird jaded <laughs> my mind take is different i will tell you my favorite trait in the whole thing is the stir pucks damn lucky fish <laughs> that's dedicated to my grandpa <laughs> is it really oh that's cool that's uh and and uh for for the the readers um Sturbrike have lived long enough to grow great length and acquire name for themselves such as old one eye hook snatcher or the slippery duke are seemingly watched out for manan himself uh all such Sturbrike have three fortune points again a, a great way to use existing rules to easily make something fun and different yep yep give it a bunch of flavor yeah so for me, it's Dreadmaw. Uh, all those fun special rules and burrow and and you know getting eaten and rules for that. That's man. The the first time I read it, it was like yes, this I want to. How do I get my my characters to encounter one of these? 
<laughs> making willpower tests to keep it together while you're being burned by acid in a dreadmoss tummy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, second expedition. So, uh, old worlders, the first expedition we went through, and we spent a lot of time going through because we we're talking a lot about the way everything was kind of put together and, um, like the different ways that, uh, TS built the sections, um, to like tell a story and show the stat blocks. So we're going to go through this a little bit quicker on the next two. Um, but let's go through and, uh, Matt TS, just interrupt me. If there's one you want to like really get, uh, in and talk about, um, but uh, the the first section of this second expedition really was about things that were in the wetlands of the Reich. And so we get to see uh, some that we've seen before, but with a little more to them, like um, the amoeba um, and uh, the hilarity of Jetsam, the clever jelly is so good. Clever jelly. <laughs> yeah. Or the uh, jelly from hell. <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh, stop us, or stop me if you guys want to talk about anything. I was going to be like, all right, we're going to stop right off the bat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't think I'm saying this right. Amphensabia, Bena, maybe. Um, anyway, I, I thought it was Amphensabena. There right? you go. Yeah. No, that's, I'm terrible. You asked me, I am terrible at pronunciation. But essentially, a snake with two heads at opposite ends, except it's a giant snake, right? It's, it's size large. Um, and it has some really cool, uh, rules with like the fourfold knowing gaze, um, which is another one of those outnumbering things that I, that's, I think is so important. Like if you, if you need yeah. to up your game, make it so that your players can't just get an automatic plus 30 or 40 <laughs> when they're attacking something. Um, yeah, I think you even said that earlier, TS, that like so many of these big creatures, you like, you know, you have a big enough party, you surround them, and you just, it's this death spiral until it's done. And uh, forcing or having these count as if they were multiple opponents, it, it just pulls that out immediately, make, makes that a, a non issue when fighting these. Yeah, I really, I thought about like, somebody had observed to me as well, like when Patrick and I had been kicking around and I could have just given them all the talent combat master, the one like with certain levels of combat master. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, and I think one or two did get that when it justified, like this particular creature knows how to fight. Right. And actually I think one, at least I gave combat master. I don't remember which one, but somewhere in here, somebody's got combat master several level. But here's the thing, like that makes sense that there would be creatures that were used to being attacked by multiple opponents. And I didn't want to have all creatures like that because you know what? Sometimes it's valid that you gang up on a thing and kill it. That's how you kill a bear. If you're hunting bears, right? <laughs> you gang up on it and kill it. Right. So, you know, not that I like bears and I don't want you to hunt and kill bears, but <laughs> in the context of a role-playing game, when you're fighting against larger creatures, that's how humanity's fought them for ages, surrounded, it, stabbed it from a distance with, you know, spears or shot it up with arrows and let it bleed and be damaged and hurt and then eventually stopped. I don't know if you guys have ever read kind of some of the classic stuff that we know about humans, but the most fr frightening thing about human hunters in our history endless patience and uh constitution we're terrifying from the point of view of the animal world we can kill a thing and just keep pursuing it for ages that's i never thought about it that way yep that's actually one of the biggest assets humanity has that all connected obviously to sentience but that hurting a thing and then just 
following it endlessly until it drops dead of exhaustion. That's mm. actually, and that's part of why we became buddies with dogs because dogs could keep up with us. Fascinating. I'm learning. I'm learning anthropology in this episode. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, you know, my wife says I'm a fictional anthropologist. That is, it's <laughs> literally one of the first things on my tag. Nice. So, yeah, I, mean, I, so, I can't think of a better title if I'm being honest. Like yeah. that's <laughs> that's pretty great. So uh, that would be the Amphispina, which actually in our world, there's a whole history of like the two-headed snake. That one was really cool. They actually appear in medieval bestiaries. So that was fun. So some of the references in that one, I actually drew from real world weird stuff about the two-headed snakes of our world. So that was neat. And then uh, River Trolls to the next entry, that was me finally getting to do trolls as scary as i think trolls should be and with the added bonus of getting able to do the river troll hags which are just nasty yeah Mm -hmm. river troll hags when i was very excited about that (laughs) um you know it's a river troll with magic (laughs) yeah well you know they're actually a, a a side note but they're actually uh i did not know this when i went to write this entry i wanted to do it because i think the river troll model from forge world is amazing the river troll hag and I was like, oh, that's so neat. That's an additional entry. And while I was doing it, it was pointed out to me by one of my fellow designers. They're like, you know, that's actually a unit type in uh, Total War. I was like, what do you mean it's a unit type? He's like, they're in Total War. Look it up. And like, they are. <laughs> they're a whole thing in Total War. I had no idea. I didn't know that either. So I normally just play dwarves. So <laughs> I, uh... Yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, they're an advanced, but yeah, you know, like you said, they're a, a, a spellcasting troll, which is god awful thought from Wolfram point of view. Also, yeah. I had several people say that uh, a couple of GMs have contacted me and said "full of fish and worse" is one of their favorite add-on uh, traits. Got a it. river troll can make its first vomit attack in combat without spending advantage because they pack plenty of ammo. Nice. <laughs> yes, that's excellent. Um. I that's another way of getting around needing. Yeah, that's exactly. I, I don't, I think I missed that when I read this through the first time. That's excellent. Um, I can, I can also say that this page includes, I think my favorite comment, um, the in universe comment through the, in uh, the entire book is I love those boots. Um, a reference to (laughs) boots that he had lost to a river troll. So, (laughs) Um, well, that uh, that's it speaks to our earlier when we said it's Schreiber's. If you look, it's still Schreiber's handwriting, but he wrote it in a different color. Right, right. So uh, moving on, we got the Camilo Leach. Um, the, so this one has uh, appeared in other ones, but this is expanded. And gosh, I can't even look at this page very long. Creeps me out. Um, That's a weird one because it wasn't done in a different supplement that we did. It's in uh, one of the enemy within uh, add-on ones, right. I, as I recall. It's in, and the thing is, I wrote a completely different set of rules for the same creature, not knowing that the cameo leech appeared that one. Oh, and Padre yeah. was like, "Oh, we." in the enemy within and he pointed out to me and i was like this is the only time i did this but that's why i'm telling you the story i said yeah my rules are better i'm keeping mine <laughs> <laughs> and Padre was like, oh fair enough <laughs> nice they're they're uh they're a more deadly cousin <laughs> yeah exactly so uh there are one or two things that now have slightly different variations. And I actually think that just is with our core ethos, right? Make it what you want. 
So right. you could absolutely look and go, oh, I like this one. TS did. I could use it. Or you know what? I prefer this more straightforward one from from uh, whichever one of the add-ons it is. Yeah. But I, I well, prefer this one. So it is. It's super neat, right? And it does give it like you know this book is a reference material that was researched by this group. And there's no guarantee that the same Camellia leeches that they saw are the ones that the other people saw that when they created, you know, the other, uh, you know, when they observed it and therefore was able to create a stat block of it. So I think it, it works. <laughs> it works, right? I mean, it, it's, it just harkens back to what this book is all about. And that is telling this really fun story. Yeah. So moving on, we have a Fenworm. Um, so think giant swamp slash river snake anaconda but you know infused with like teeth and chaos and everything um so that's a good one uh the corpse render of carolberg i did want to stop briefly on this and ask this is one of the first ones that we get where i feel like the there's only one stat block here it's essentially a hydra but it's for a specific hydra so i'm curious right. why this doesn't have to like a, a hydra and then the corpse render like what was your thought process on this one the Hydra, as it's written in the core book, is pretty solidly what a Hydra is supposed to be. Okay. Like, it was so dead on, like, what I thought the Hydra was supposed to be. It was like, oh, no, this is pretty good. Like, when I was looking at stat blocks, like, I don't know if this one was written right or this one could be improved or changed a little. I kept looking at it thinking, this is, like, what a Hydra is supposed to be. But I, I knew about the corpse render. Like, this is actually, uh, if you guys, there's actually references to the corpse render in the Old World Bestiary. It's been around for centuries. <laughs> so it actually, there are oblique references to it in other places. This immortal Hydra that just keeps showing up. And, you know, every time they waste it or certain it's dead, it shows up again. So, and, and folks that have fought it, like the, as it observes, like I, they're like <laughs> the slayer that fought it's Like it was the same beastie. I know it was, it recognized me. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, that's an indication that it's been too long since I've read that book. Cause I don't remember that. So I'm going to need to, I'm going to need to get out my copy and check it out. There's some Easter egg stuff uh, throughout the Old World Bestiary and the 4th Edition Core. And this one, uh, if you look at different places, you'll see a, a autonomous named Mari Sosber. And she comes up a couple of times in different places that she's a, a expert on certain things. And she's written kind of the definitive paper on Hydra's. And her mm. name comes up a couple of times between the Old World Bestiary, and you actually see her mentioned again uh, in the context of a soldier that's describing this, you know, uh, this brave, you know, scholar basically that went with them and just describing where to attack the, where to attack the Hydra. So it's a, it was, you know, the lore that her lore saved us, not you know, not guns and swords. It was her lore that saved us. So it's kind of an Easter egg and different things about this character. So, but yeah, that's that's kind of why that one ended up being just the unique and not the core as well because i was like yeah the core is good enough you can toss grim on the core if you wanted but it's pretty much what it's supposed to be awesome okay so um so we kind of move out of the riken into bretonia at this part and man some of these are some of my favorite stat blocks because um a, a lot of the bretonia lore is in it's kind of built from the fantastical um, curious history kind of stuff we've been talking about. So we have things in here like Dark Pegasi, um, the Praetan, Night Ravens. Um, the Praetan itself is like this crazy conglomeration between like a an eagle, snake, bat, 
I, I don't even know how to describe it. Um, but it's terrifying and it feels, they're they're darn weird, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it feels very out of like, uh, you know, like just out of, like you said, those old books where like, they just kind of, it feels like they just smashed two, you know, or more animals together and yep. Yeah. So, uh, they're all very interesting and cool. Um, and, and, uh, like, then you get into some of the more, I, I don't want to say mundane, but like those are like so crazy. Like you don't like, uh, I'm a big Warhammer fantasy battle player. So like you didn't see very many minis of that kind of stuff. Like the, you know, the dark Pegasi and things like that. Like they were out there, but they're old. They didn't get updated a lot. Um, but then you see some of the things here, like the great rafters of the gray mountains, which includes your gray mountain Hawks, you're the great Eagles having a good, great Eagle stat block is good. But then, um, I particularly loved the named great Eagle. Um, and I'm probably not going to say this right. Uh, Heomreth. quickly read night songs entry just above that. Yeah. That was me slipping giant owls into the book. <laughs> oh, I completely misinterpreted that. I'm sorry. Um, it's all right. It's not a unique creature. It's a whole. It's a whole species. That's the giant owls. Sick. <laughs> yeah. So that's even cooler. <laughs> um, the the funny thing is, looking at it through your eyes, I'm like, oh yeah, I can see how that would read as a creature. Sweet. <laughs> but yeah, that's the Blessverina owls. Like that's giant owls from okay. the old school, and like so, all the way back to the original yeah. old, uh, giant owls. Bless Verena Miracles. It makes complete sense now. So, well, I feel silly, but I'm glad you pointed this out to me. That's cool. <laughs> you don't have to feel silly. There's a lot in this book. It's yeah. pretty dense. And on, and like I said, now that I read it, I'm like, wow, that's really neat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can totally see that. So finishing out the second expedition, we have Cockerice and... Chimera. How did I give myself this section? Uh, I can't pronounce any of these names. Man, some old, again, more old school stuff. Any any monster that can turn you into stone is pretty terrifying. So I like how he comments on that even. Like, he goes, what are the odds that a, there'd be two different creatures on two sides of a mountain range that could both turn you to stone? Right? <laughs> I did it. Um, side note, I didn't want to repeat too many creatures from the core book, right? Because at some right. level... I, I was really careful about repeating ones that folks would have already seen. It's usually when I had a different take. Perfect example of that, basilisks, right? I think basilisks are great, and they're actually the take of the core is just fine. Like, I, I didn't really see a need to repeat it. Right. And the repetition would have been like, ah, oh, you could use a basilisk and slap on one or two grim if you want or some of the new stuff, but I think it's pretty good. But I still think it's worth commenting. It is weird that there's two different creatures that can turn things to stone. <laughs> right. And canonically, they do both. Uh, Basculus are on the uh, eastern slopes of the Grey Mountains, and uh, famously, cockatrices are on the west. So it's just like, I guess they might be connected. Who knows? That's oh. the kind of thing that drives scholars crazy, you know. And but that Schreiber comments on it enough that boy, it's kind of beggar's belief that they would be different. There's your next adventure, so, T.S. What crazy fun- chaos artifact exists in those mountains that's causing these animals to be able to turn people into stone? exactly why why was this long a thing right crazy so the to to our earlier discussion of being outnumbered 
the Chimera was the first that I was like, yeah, it's got three heads. It can't be outnumbered. <laughs> Just yeah. straight up. And we see be, you. <laughs> it can't be surprised either, which yeah. is can't be a surprised, big deal. can't be outnumbered. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man. Like I said, I you know, this is this book is the perfect cure for fate points. So it is. Yeah. I oh and unique beast, the Oblus Beast is one of my favorites from unique unique creatures. I love the Oblus Beast. What uh what's your favorite part about it? Just the uh... Well, everybody kind of has this take on Chimera, right? It's uh-huh. usually like, oh yeah, it's got a lion's head and the dragon and the bird, you know. Right. And a lot of people these days they probably picture you know that the one model is pretty good. And they're like, oh, it, it looks like that, right? And the Oblis Beast has the body of a shaggy gray bear and the head of like a gray falcon, like the white and black, and then a big boar and an ice spewing dragon. And to me, like that's such a different looking Chimera that it would just be super fun to stick that on a party because they'll, they'll even have that moment of like, what the hell is that thing? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Okay, so that's it for the the second expedition, though it does bring us into the second incident, uh, what happens at uh, Weyberg. Um, My favorite art in the entire book, I guess maybe the most gruesome art, is the Skin Wolf art. Oh, page 71. (laughs) Yeah. Man. Gnarly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing where, like, I'm a player in, in, in a Wolfrip game, and that artwork pops up from my GM saying, this is what you see. That's, I mean, there's no, like, I'm not fighting that. Like, I'm just <laughs> not. Like, done. Out. Nope. I, I don't care what the stat is. I'm out. <laughs> you see this talent? I'm very fond of it. It's called flee. It has an exclamation <laughs> point and everything. So, and the storyline. To line... be fair, even, like, looking at the, the Skin Wolf's stat block, like, it's not the worst thing in this book, but it sure looks like it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it will be in my nightmares no doubt oh they're definitely oh yeah for sure man it's a hard fight it's definitely a hard fight if you're a more experienced party you could probably take one of these on like you know if you're keeping it together you could take it on but yeah they're definitely bad bad news they're they're not exactly something you just go oh this will be fun to fight <laughs> right <laughs> they're definitely bad news right right the in the I particularly love the story kind of behind this, like the, the, oh, I, I, I'm studying this thing. I I don't know how to explain it without giving away the story, but I liked it. So yes, I like, I like that one too. I'm I'm glad you liked it, Lance. That one was kind of a, throughout the stories of the things that happened to them, right? This is a very different take for Schreiber. Like this one's slightly different, mm-hmm. but if you read the, as you said, if you read the book cover to cover and then you go back and read this one, there's a couple of real foreshadowing slash characterful things in here mm-hmm. that come up later. And then retroactively, I had at least one of my readers retroactively go, Oh my God, about, Schreiber and Kistiad when she'd read all the way through and then went back, she was like, Holy crap! Like, <laughs> this entry was uh hit her after the fact really hard. Yeah, I I'm gonna I'm gonna talk more about this when we get to the afterward because I I have I, I'm gonna because I'm gonna go spoiler tastic, um, but I okay. want to do it all in <laughs> one place so that yeah, exactly. So, that so listeners... you can warn everybody, yep. this is the spoiler. Chunk, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. 
Um, having said that, what are our favorite uh, step, you know, entries out of this section? Uh, Matt, you want to go first on this? Big fan of the corpse render. Uh, really cool creature. That was probably my favorite. TS? I, I kind of advanced the old Blessed no, Beast right. is my favorite, just because he was one of my favorites to, yeah. for odd, horrible things. I I can't, I can't, the Skin Wolf, man. And I, I'll be 100% honest, if the artwork wasn't there, I probably wouldn't say the Skin Wolf. I'd probably say the Dark Pegasi, because I think yeah. that you can really... That's a killer piece, too. Yeah, it's just, like, the way the Dark Pegasi, and you could describe it, like, you can do so much more than have a battle with that, like, but... The Skin Wolf, man, you see that artwork, and I'm just like, yep, I don't even need a stat block. I just need the piece of art to show my my players. So, because they ain't going to fight it. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you hear this hideous, warbling howl, and you're like, what made that? And you, this walks over the hill. Like, oh, that's fun. Nope. We're running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nope. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, that takes us on to the third expedition. Matt, you want to start us off? Sure, yeah. Um, so starting out on this one is the Great Taurus, which is a uh, bull-like creature with wings. Uh, another great pencil drawing for this creature. Very nice. The next two are a couple that are one of some of the, the few entries in the whole book that don't have an accompanying piece of art, and that is Tregara and Razorbill. Yeah, so we talked about the... I want to mention the Tregara here. So TS, help help me out. I don't remember lore on this. There must be some old lore that I haven't read for the Tregara. The Tregara is in uh, the legendary Skaven source book, Children of the Horned Rat, for second edition. And I have not read that cover to cover. I've slipped, kind of looked through it, so maybe that's it. So that was pretty much a kiss for uh, old school fans mm-hmm. that knew about that. And it's such a weird beast. I agree. It's sad. It doesn't have a picture. I was laughing at Patrick. I'm like, I need to do an adventure with one of these so we can justify getting a picture in someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see what they look like. So that's, but the razor bill was one of the few that I was so ticked with them for not doing a picture of that one, because it was the only thing he knows it. It was the only thing that I had a reference for in all the book that I specifically said, Razor Bills look like this. <laughs> he literally gave them a picture as a reference for what they look like. <laughs> and they didn't include it. Oh, I'm and sorry. that one ended up not going through. I was like, what? That's the only one I had a reference for. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and this is, to me, this is, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. Nothing in this book is a joke when it comes to danger or whatever. But the razor bill is kind of like, I, I equate it a little bit to, what are those, uh, the the Bretonian like, night hawks or night ravens night yeah ravens, the night right? ravens yeah so like it's one of those things where like not not too bad one off or whatever like it's the it's the flock like it's kind of the oh. flock of doom kind of idea oh. oh that is a very good example lance you're absolutely right that is a very good example of mechanics of knowing your mechanics well that you know padre went out of his way to have the couple sections like read how these different things work and know that some creatures are far more dangerous if you read these different traits and how it works uh the razor bill is probably one of the most dangerous things in this book which is crazy because people are like oh it's the bird why would that yeah an individual razor bill sure no big deal but a flock of razor bills is god awful because... Which is listed in here as flight of razors, and who do you consider <laughs> that? Oh, 
Yeah, because what it really, well, what it comes down to mechanically, like if you two didn't realize this, I, I you probably do, but the way swarms work, you're inevitably going to take at least one wound because you automatically take one wound when dealing with the swarm. I if you are engaged with the Razorbill flock, you will automatically lose a wound at the end of every round, which ignores your AP and toughness bonus. So you just take one wound. But if you are wounded by a Razorbill flock, you must make endurance chests or pick up a bleeding condition. And bleeding and can flat out kill you. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, bleeding please. can flat out kill you. So as you're fighting the razor bills, you're like, yip, 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 oh, take a wound, make your roll. Oh, cool, you made your roll. Take a wound. Oh, you made your roll. Take a wound. Oh, I didn't make the roll. Well, now you're bleeding. Next round, oh, you took another wound. Oh, but you're bleeding, so it's getting harder to make those tests. Yeah, razor bill flock is super bad news. <laughs> Yeah, I, sooner or later. So this is a, I mean, so the handy dandy uh, chart in the back of this book that gets all of the uh, traits in a easy to read couple page format. And I have to admit, so I, I was like, where am I missing this? So I guess I didn't realize the one wound. I knew that they, you know, get death bro and I knew that they get the bonus to hit. Um, and, but I didn't realize. So fascinating yeah now i do realize how that's incredibly dangerous yeah, yeah one that's of the circumstances when, of where how quickly it can get out of hand and that's when you very quickly absolutely and that's when, when the one that you got the one person in the party that bothered to get the thing that lets you auto staunch bleeding right yeah <laughs> and suddenly everybody's like oh my god you have dressings i forget what it's called but the dressing that you just like you can auto staunch bleeding. Yeah. yeah suddenly that becomes all important yeah, I know our our my party my players first um situation dealing with bleeding um we we called the uh the episode blood cano because um Janet uh Lynn is their character she miscast trying to purify water and um got <laughs> seven bleeding conditions on it. Oh Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so she got an incredibly lucky heel roll that like took care of it. But when we were realizing like we're we were essentially looking, I'm like, that's a 70% chance to straight up die. And yeah. and um it's amazing the first between adventure session we had, every single one of my players went and got training on healing. Yeah, <laughs> advantages and yeah, we learned our lesson, that's for sure. It's funny how that goes. So for those of you that hear this and are like, okay, what's TS mumbling about? You need to look up, uh, just feel free to Google the images, Stellar's Sea Eagle. Stellar spelled S-T-E-L-L-E-R. So Stellar's Sea Eagle. Look it up and you'll be like, oh, that's a razor bill. The second you see one, (laughs) you're like, oh, okay. They're not puffins. No, and the the beak man looks particularly mean for the size of its face. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Oh, look at that little. Yes, I was googling it as you told us. Cool. So, all right, moving on. Anyway, that's razor bills. Razor bills. (laughs) All right, so wondrous beasts of the Southlands. Thank you for finding a way to get us some lustria content early. (laughs) You're welcome. I appreciate you, TS, for this. I tell you. And at first I was like, really like, I was like, I saw the Stegodon and I saw the Carnosaur and I completely somehow missed the horned one. And I'm like, no. And then I realized it was there. And I mean, cause come on, what's more 
terrifying than facing like a velociraptor and warhammer yeah so <laughs> i think this is a prime example of where uh you know i i still feel like my foray into warhammer fantasy is you know i'm still learning a lot there's still plenty of stuff that i don't know and i'll tell you i did not realize that there are full-blown dinosaurs in the old world <laughs> and that is good going through these pages and then reading the whole section about it was a delight yeah. There's some there's some winky stuff in there too. There's a funny thing, and the short version, you two will laugh because you kind of are part of this history as well. But you might recall when you see the old world bestiary core, there's that famous picture that people have now rendered as miniatures, like these insanely talented people of the scarecrow with the pumpkin head. Yeah, yeah. Right? And people have been like there are no pumpkins in the old world and like go th through these laborious explanations of where the pumpkin came from in our world and why they wouldn't be in the old world. Right. Really? And I was like, okay, well I'll take care of that crap. So there's actually a reference in the wondrous beast of the Southlands to the stegodons really liking these big orange gourds that they brought over from the old world that they brought from, uh, from Lustra. Nice. So, yeah, there's there's pumpkins in the old world. Virtual high five, TS. Well done. <laughs> yeah, while Steg Stegodons prefer foliage, they're especially fond of immense orange gourds originally brought from Lustrio. I did not make that connection. That's awesome. So that's what that is. So for those folks that were grumbling about, how could you have a pumpkin-headed scarecrow? Shut up. <laughs> there Take you go. All right, so moving on. Wildcats. T.S., not only did you manage to slip some uh, Lustria, you managed to slip some Althawan in there. Um, <laughs> giving me a white uh, war lion of Trace. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate you more than you know. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. The, I think the white lions are awesome. That's the thing that always needed like a proper model, right? Yeah. They did some stuff, but I've always thought, man, they should have done, like, done the war lions upright. I, I don't know. I, obviously, it won't be War Lions at this point with Age of Sigmar and all that, but I rather hope they get around again to doing some a big cat for Warhammer or for Age of Sigmar would be pretty cool. Yeah. Whichever faction gets it would be really nifty to get one. Well, I mean, I imagine that in the time for the the new square bases, if we're hoping it's coming in next year, um, maybe we'll get something. I because didn't the old you used to have chariot models with white lions, but it's true. But, they but I fear that the focus of the new one, Lance, is going to be the old world specifically and uh, human on human. I, I feel uh, okay. at least a chunk of it seems to be like the, the great wars occurring in the civil wars in the Empire and what's going on in Britonia. I'm not certain if they will bother to just try to rehash or redo. Like they might not, the elves might be, basically what I'm saying is the elves might be a mysterious elves mm. that, because at that time there's very little contact with Althawan except true. a little trading. So they might very well be like, no, the elves are not in this game. Like the elves don't, elven armies don't appear at all. I could be wrong. They might completely go a different direction. But from everything they broadcast so far, and this is an internal knowledge. To be crystal clear, I have no idea of Games Workshop's <laughs> plans in regard <laughs> other than what I've seen like with everybody else is I too read the public blogs about what they're doing. And I've seen the different stuff. And I, I just suspect that elves is not going to be their focus when they go back to the old world, because they've done so many cool things with elves in age of Sigmar 
I, I think if they're going to advance elf stuff, it would be the various cool factions they're doing in Age of Sigmar. I just I don't know if they'd go back to do to retread old stuff for them. I could be wrong. Who knows? But I my heart says probably nay. So, uh, but yeah, I like the War Lions. I, I'm glad you liked that entry. That was fun to get in there. So awesome. And a neat bit of lore too with that Rahagra. That's an old, old name for old school elf players. I don't recognize that name. So Rahagra's gift. Yeah, Rahagra was basically like this iconic war lion that fought at the side of uh, Azerman. Uh see, that's it. I mean, and another secret. Uh, I, I want Wolfrup Fourth Edition to touch every land in every area. I want Althland. I want Nagaroth. I want Southlands. I want Kethe. I want. I want it all. <laughs> so, hopefully, we get there. So moving on, this might be, is this the largest, uh, the pon- uh, Potente Grancio? El Potente Grancio. See? Sí. Sure you. looks pretty damn big. Yeah. <laughs> it is probably the biggest creature from sheer size. I will tell you it's my favorite piece of art in the book. Nice. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, the Leviathan, but the Leviathan is just—I love it. I absolutely love the Leviathan. First time I, the Dave—I don't remember if it was David Padraig. One of them showed me. I was just like, "Yes, more, please!" <laughs> right in my veins. Right. I just love it. So uh, this entry was really fun to write too, because it's kind of the the gateway to other stuff, and uh, I get to talk about Kadal and the Shackler and a bunch of interesting stuff in there. So yeah, that was really fun. And as we said earlier in the show, Leviathans are in the cold you know, are up there in the sea of claws. So hence part of why it's called sea of claws. <laughs> nice. I do want to point out too. Uh, so old worldlers, if you're one thing to think about is uh, if you're like big into Talea or want background information on Talea, or you're running a campaign or adventure there and you need more material, um, this whole uh, third um, or, or the vast majority of the third expedition takes place in, Talea, and there's a lot of good information talking about like Tobaro and Remus, and I'm probably saying all those names wrong, but the the concept is still there. There's some extra lore in here that you might find helpful. So yeah, yeah, for sure. If you're a Talea fan, you absolutely should check this one out. But I'm especially up in arms, like yeah, yeah, that's like a mini Talea source book for mercenaries and uh, a bunch about the god. Uh, their big what yeah Mermidia and a bunch of stuff really useful stuff about Talea like all kinds of stuff on how they run things and whatnot but yeah there's a lot of fun stuff on Talea in here um so moving on we have the siren which is not a new entry slightly different obviously we have a merworm which man the artwork on that I don't even know how to describe it you got to look at it it's it's terrifying and uh and this might be my favorite one from this section, the Shard Dragon, which, um, so a question for you, TS, this is a kind of lack of my knowledge here too. Shard Dragon, I don't, is, is that's not a, is there a old school lore? Where did this one come from? Shard Dragon comes from the monstrous Arcanum. Uh, it's one of the ones that uh, Alan Bly created for the monstrous Arcanum. And okay. it was one that, uh, did not they uh, released the very a lot of those monsters got released through Forge World, and I had been told before that the Shard Dragon for whatever reason was one of the last ones released, 
and they didn't really make a lot of it. So that miniature does exist, but they didn't do a lot of it. Mm. Like it, it was released, but only, you know, relatively finite amounts were released. And uh, a lot of folks felt that they hadn't done quite justice to the way that it exists in the picture because it was kind of tricky to translate that over. So if you go looking for it, you actually can probably find the Shard Dragon online because hey, these days you can Google anything. But you'll notice it doesn't quite capture the way the Shard Dragon looks in the, in the awesome uh, picture of it. So that miniature wasn't very popular and apparently it didn't do very well. Mm. So it kind of came and went really fast and it doesn't entirely look like the Shard Dragon picture either. So it just kind of came and they're like, oh, this one didn't go over very well. Okay, whereas some of the others went over very well. So this one's kind of an interesting history strictly from a miniature standpoint. But I thought the Shard Dragon was a fascinating creature. Its history is really cool too. Its connections to the dwarves and some of that stuff is really fascinating. So I was like, oh yeah, that's a creature that actually ate Gromril? Oh yeah, hell yeah. Right. <laughs> like, that sounds fun. So uh, yeah, that was a really fun entry to do. Excellent. And then we finish this up, this section up with uh, the last final incident, uh, lesser evils, um, more Skaven goodness built in here. I specifically like the section on the Skaven, the Skaven clan Skyree troops. Felt like that was very helpful. Yeah, that was a, it's interesting. Like I wrote that, you don't never write anything in a bubble per se, but as I was working on this, I wasn't certain of the timing and exactly how much we were going to release on the different types of Skaven in, uh, I knew the Horned Rats Companion was going to be kind of like the Skaven source book for 4E. I knew there was right. going to be quite a bit on Skaven in there. But the thing is, there is a ton of Skaven stuff, right? There's multiple different clans, and they all have their own stuff going on. And I was like, well, how much stuff is going to go? And even at the time, we weren't certain what all would make the cut or would it would or wouldn't be in that book. So I was like, well, if... I absolutely want to have a bunch of clan scryer stuff here. If for no other reason than it'll a, not everybody will pick those up, you know, cause some folks are like, I don't want to pick up all those adventures or those particular source books. Right. And, and that's, we can't assume every GM knows everything from all those books. It's a big, long adventure series. And some folks are like, well, I only run my own stuff. And I know you guys have talked about it on the old world podcast. Like those companions are really valuable in and of themselves. You don't even have to run the enemy within to get a lot out of the companions. For uh, sure. But sure. yeah, but but not, I, I get it that not everybody's like, well, yeah, but I, I don't know if I want to buy. I still recommend of all the companions, boy, like each one kind of has its own thing, right? But if you want Skaven, you really should pick up the Horned Rat Companion. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes. Like, and if you want, like, just like if you want, like, a bunch of really useful stuff on Chaos, like especially Zinch Cults and stuff, you should pick up the third. You know, there's, there's definitely, like, individual ones that are like, ah, oh, you really want to pick that, that one up. <laughs> like, if that's what you're doing in your campaign, you really want to pick that up. Interestingly, the last episode we recorded is a discussion about exactly that. Looking at the enemy within as a whole, breaking down what books you should get uh, as a GM, what books you should get as a player, you nice. know, and, and the usability outside of the enemy within. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's interesting you bring that up because we, we felt the same way, that those those books offered a lot. A lot more than I guess you'd think at uh, first glance. Yeah. The, so this episode, these episodes are going to be releasing pretty close together. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. 
so I'd say ultimately the idea was I wanted people to have, because I like, I think Clan Scryer is really neat, very different foe for the old world because they just rattle you badly, right? Mm-hmm. If your character's in the old world and you're like, they have guns, these freaking rat men have guns advanced guns good ones (laughs) yeah you're just suddenly like what are we dealing with if you're you know an honest character is like i have no idea what the heck these things are you know the player might be like i have an army but (laughs) you know (laughs) it it just it's a very different you know that the player not not. so interesting uh lore note there clan scryer prototype uh ts being good to his lore what you guys would think of as the uh the big storm things right the uh Clan Scryer has that one troop type now that uh, even in Age of Sigmar, they're the big, the wheels, fully converted. The, the Doom Wheel? Yeah, Stormfeed. Stormfeed, oh, Storm, I think. Okay. Is that it? Stormfeed? At any rate, they're the big clan, clan, ogre, uh, rat ogres completely converted over to having like gun arms and crazy stuff. Well, canonically, those were made for the end times. Those actually, in Warhammer lore, those were actually specifically created by. Uh, uh, the big grace uh, grace in conjunction with the famous exit claw. He actually made those specifically for stuff that was heading in the end times. So they didn't exist yet as of the writing of this book. So that's actually why I call it a prototype ah. because they actually, that is kind of the, the first pass of what will eventually be those things because they don't actually exist yet. So that's actually why it's the clan's grower, a scryer prototype. Cause a couple of folks are like, well, wait a minute. Why didn't you, like make it what it actually is like a starfish because they don't exist yet nice that that makes sense but i am obviously strongly implying from this thing is what they you know this was uh-huh. you know, early early experiments for what will eventually go on to be those things we'll see matt if if you're you and the rest of your uh, group can stop the end times from happening yeah, we'll see about that. Yeah, <laughs> based on the track record so far, I'd say we're not looking too good. You didn't sound hopeful. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite uh, favorite entries from this section, TS. Oh boy. Uh, obviously, this one's pretty moving. Um, I think my favorite entry is probably the Murworm, just because it's god awful icky. Yeah. Yeah. I, but my favorite art is definitely oh the Leviathan. God. Yeah, exactly. But it definitely the Leviathan is by far and away. That's my favorite art in the book. So, but yeah, yeah I think the Murworm was my favorite entry because you just do not want to face one of those things. <laughs> They're really unpleasant. Matt, yeah, for me, the Shard Dragon's really cool, but Il Potente Grancio is definitely just super cool. The idea of this giant Leviathan crab that has a shipwreck and a building, you know, coming out of its back is. Uh, just super cool. Nice. I'm. What do you think, Lance? I'm shard shard dragon all the way. I, <laughs> I plus part of it for me is the story that happens in in the book, and you're reading through how they encounter a shard dragon, and then I just yeah yeah it's it was it just I read that and it. I'm like totally that's does. cool. Nice. Right, so that brings us to the appendices of which we have quite a few in here, and this is another area where. A lot of value, for sure, for um, for our listeners. Outside of utilizing it as a bestiary, there's a lot of good stuff in here. The first section, the first appendix in here, is called Gory Riches. This is effectively finding a way to profit off of hunting and killing these animals. Because normally, I mean, I think it even mentions in here, outside of a dragon's horde, like it's not very often that 
you defeat this big creature and you get anything from it. But so there's a whole table in here that talks about the threat of the creature. And this is all the ones that are listed in the book, which is really, really nice. Um, the amount of encumbrance that they are, the uh, claims about what their uses are, which is really neat. Um, so yeah, it, it almost like I, I could see writing a whole adventure around this, right? Like somebody who wants you to go hunt down some of these animals, you know, uh, where is it in here? There's a uh, finding a buyer, like having, knowing what you're even going to do with it. Once you've get, once, you know, you've killed it and, and harvested it, how you can preserve it. Yeah. Like, yep. yeah. So there, there's a bunch of elements that I think are really neat. Um, and this is one again, that, that you could, you could really kind of shoehorn in, in a lot of different, uh, areas in your adventures. I think this goes back to like, you know, finding what's right for your game too. Cause like this is, I almost equate this to some of the rules for a death on the Reich companion with the river trading and stuff like that. Like how deep do you want to go? Like, do you, do you want to have a party? Like their whole job is monster hunting and, and that's what think like, Oh man, this is gold for you. Like, but you don't necessarily need to go into all the detail there, but it's there and it's good. I know most, I've read when this first released, I had I saw more comments about the gory riches section than I did about any of the stat blocks. <laughs> so well, as I kind of pointed out, that people for years have been like, "Shouldn't these monster parts be worth something?" To- right? <laughs> Shouldn't this be worth something to somebody? And I was like, "Yes, yes, they probably should be." <laughs> yeah, and looking at the table on here, the threat and price table, the cost or value per encumbrance. There's a lot of GC listed on there. So if you <laughs> can somehow manage to defeat these things, you're looking at a, a potential significant windfall. And I, I know I just said it, but the commonly claimed uses, again, there's one of those listed for each entry in this book. And some of them are just fantastic. For example, uh, the things from the dead wood. If you drink from the skull, it grants the ability to see and hear the dead. There's so many in here. Um, a poultice of the great eagle's uh, macerated eyes cures blindness. Just those, all that is, is a, it's not even a full sentence. Like it's just a little, these little snippets that are, are super cool and super fun ways to incorporate stuff like that into your games. Yeah. The, uh, one of my favorite things with this section too, is it, be able to tell people where we were headed to the apothecary or a witch. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, alchemists were long a beloved thing back in the day. And that's, I, I, I don't think it's given anything away, but alchemists return as full on as a career in Winds of Magic. So I very much wanted to kind of set up as I was writing this, like Padraig and I knew that that was coming eventually. So I was like, oh yeah, we absolutely need to have this section on kind of introducing what will be continued in Winds of Magic of like alchemy like specifically these creatures and what you can do with them from a magical standpoint, which is obviously one of the big reasons why anybody would hunt them because they still have mystical properties. So that was definitely like a big thing. Yeah. The whole next section in here is all about potions and unguents and uh, poisons, a lot of really neat stuff. And I tell you, I feel like we've seen time and time and time again, how much new content consistently comes out for the apothecary career. (laughs) <laughs> that between this, it was um, was Death on the Right Companion had the whole big section right at yep, the, the, at the front, yeah. like yeah, the, you, the half the the halfling herbs, yeah, yes, that, yep. the, the, the gal the halfling gal writing about all the herbs, yeah, totally, yeah, 
I honestly, and I, I feel like that's a, a big reason to consider that career. Oh, knowing yeah. that there's, you know, you're going to have something new that's going to come out that you can, you know, put in the back of your mind or try to immediately incorporate uh, in just about every book or every couple, which uh, is great. Yeah, you could absolutely see somebody doing a campaign like one of the characters is like, I'm a budding apothecary. And even just the GM going like, okay, this is a apothecary working on their shop. Like you could drive adventures with that alone. Like, oh yeah, your old buddy setting up an apothecary shop, and they're like, could you help me gather my early ingredients? <laughs> yeah, and also I'm envisioning the uh, the successes of finding, you know, creating these different poultices, and then obviously the failures would be just as entertaining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that doesn't work right at all. <laughs> So next up, we've got a whole section about weapons and armor, specifically how to use the, uh, you know, the eagle talons and the great stag antlers into how to use those as weapons and what exactly that would mean and and what, uh, you know, what kind of traits to expect with stuff like that. The ammunition section is super cool, using uh, griffin feathers as, you know, uh, an ingredient for this ammunition, like... Ah, there's just there's some real real fun stuff in here. Yeah, I, I think I think it's kind of that was one of the ones that I thought should we be more obvious and Padre's like oh they'll figure it out but you guys probably it's the fletching obviously right yes, right, like, right. right that's why we eventually named it Griffin fletching but if you know how arrows are made obviously it's fletched with Griffin feathers so if you really want to double up your fun you fletch it with Griffin feathers and then use great horned one teeth for the uh, arrowhead. Yeah, or or shard tips. Yeah, either way. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that would be nasty. So, and in addition to that, there's armor as well, right? Like using uh, the uh, giant's ligaments to make gloves, or yeah. a chimera for a, a sweet wolf shawl. Just some, just some really neat things that, the that really helps tie this book together. And not just like here are these creatures, here are their stats, but like there's significant reason to go and try to hunt these if you're looking to get some really cool you know magical items or or special unique armor one of my favorite ones in that section is the eagle shake because it's like the dwarves would use that but do you guys the dwarves of the great mountains will occasionally take one of these claws of particularly large great eagle they've slain and turn it into a weapon while the claws do make for exceptional blades in the hands of a dwarf smith they do it mainly to antagonize the wood elves of apple for for the record i read that and immediately thought you go ts (laughs) (laughs) spite pure spite why do you have that shouldn't it be metal no (laughs) Needless to say, I feel like any, there's a lot of potential crafting careers or careers that might have a focus um, that this would be huge for. And uh, even GMs, uh, you need some sort of cool, unique item to to give to the players or have them find or be part of, you know, the bad guy doesn't just have, you know, this. He has, a, he has two shard tip arrows, you know, in his quiver. How did he get those? You know, whatever it might be. Yeah, totally. So that stuff is, I, I agree, Lance. A lot of that stuff can be very characterful too, because there's always yeah. that, like, well, how did somebody get their hands on this thing? Right. You know, maybe it's just a random thing, or maybe it's like, no, it's actually something. And I, I, we're obviously slowly speaking of things that are slowly being introduced, but magic items for 4E, but through the appropriate Wolf Rep lens, right? Between right. Archives of the Empire 2, this one, and some of the stuff, obviously, in Winds of Magic, you kind of see how 
we really don't want to have that feeling of, oh yeah, there's tons of plus one swords lying around. That's just not the Warhammer feel at all, right? That's not how the old world feels. <laughs> that, you know, that magic stuff is everywhere. It When it's around, it's always a real thing. And it's usually people justifying to themselves that, nah, it's not magic. Or it's like, nah, it's just science. <laughs> one in the same, my friend. One in the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, certainly with alchemy, right? Right. You can see an alchemist like full on describing, like you know, you the witch hunter. You like you have a license from the colleges of magic. You go, yeah, but we have a license because it's a very specific craft. <laughs> I do like the the fact that there's like a whole section on kind of how your wizards might interact with all of this. The the wizard works yeah, totally. box, yeah. So I think are we we're at that point. We're going to talk about the afterward. I, so old worlders, this is your point for the next little bit. I am going to be spoiler heavy because I, I have some things to say on this. And so if you haven't read the book and you want to experience the story like I did, and I highly recommend that you do, um, I, I will say this. I, I literally, and, and TS, I think this is a, is an ode to you a little bit, but when I read this afterward, I choked up a little bit. So spoilers incoming. Man, my jaw hit the floor. When when I read the section, I learned soon after that he had butchered six men during that little brawl. And when I put it together that he was going to like the chaos waste, uh, or, you know, to like and he had the when i put it together that like he he saw the mark on his back which wasn't just scars like i had to go back and reread that to make the connection so i was like i was floored my jaw like i was like i did an audible like <gasps> and i couldn't believe it and then of course earlier in the book he loses the the wizard i forget her name she dies but apparently you yep. know that was his girl his lover or whatever and i mean that was a powerful moment but this and then to follow up with to follow up on his promise that i you read earlier oh i'll go with you but and and i'll write this for you but if only if you promise to take my body and i just i read it and i didn't make the connection and then when when you get to the point where you know, he goes up to the the apartment she's renting, and the, she's there, like you know, with the 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 crystal things coming out of her eye and everything. I was just like, man, I almost lost it. I'm not gonna lie. I was like, man, what a war hammery, dark. But like, it's this. That's what Warhammer is. It's 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 darkness and despair mixed with hope, and like. And the hope that it ends is he says, you know what? I'm done with my silly things. I'm going back. I'm I'm a, a duke or baron or whatever. And I am not going to allow lies anymore. And I, I applaud you, sir. I, I have not read <laughs> a, a, a fourth edition book yet that has made me choke up. And, and you did it. And I, and I promise, T.S., I'm not saying this just because, oh, it's T.S. Lucard. I got to push him up. I mean, that's a real thing. So kudos to you man thank you i had a, a, a few of the folks that early read i said this in gts and i had a, a whole group of retailers laugh but in a good way i was like i had somebody contact me and say bestiaries aren't supposed to make me cry you son of a bitch <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah, uh, you're not the only one, Lance, and I, I sincerely thank you. I've had a number of people say, oh my God, you gut punched me so many times. A couple of people say Joran's passing hit them really hard. Like even more so, yeah. they were like, Kistian died well, and kind of heroically, and they were like, oh, that's really sad, but Joran just gut punched them. Uh-huh. They were like, oh, right? I'm like, well, what do you think? She's a mutant. Like it's finally when you put two and two together, she's like, oh, she's got a stone disease. Like, oh no, she's a rare dwarf physical mutant. So, yeah. you know, and that's, and that's, as Padraig says, the real kicker is, uh, you know, I keep my oaths, do not mourn Theo. I've found the cure at last. He's like, he told me that was the one that just punched him. Yep. So that was the thing that I most wasn't certain if GW would let fly. Really? D- just the dwarf with the mutation? Or well, just well, the... the ch- how she took her own life is what uh, I thought they'd be got like, it. Oh. like and so uh, I, I wasn't asked to change anything too much other than it was specified. Like, could you please be just very respectful and ambiguous? Right. Sure. Right. Like clear, but ambiguous. Right. So, and I, I said, okay. And because she's an apothecary, kind of Theo has the line, I hope whatever she took was painless. Right. right. Yeah. So it, but it's it's also somewhat in my mind, and maybe you didn't intend you didn't write it this way or whatever. But in my mind, it's also somewhat heroic. She's she's stopping it before she can become dangerous to someone else. Oh, absolutely. That's right. she would certainly see it. That would be part of how she would perceive it as well. Certainly, right. that's when she it is more her accepting what was really going on with her. Mm-hmm. Right. And being a dwarf single mindedly, her she swore an oath that she would finish this section for him of the book. So she finished it and then she finished things. Right. <laughs> Which is very dwarven and proper, right? Right. Right. <laughs> and she trusted him in a sense, a, the greatest compliment. She trusted him to keep his oath. Yeah. Which, I mean, see, I'm a huge dwarf person. So other people if you're not there and you don't know this i mean that's a big deal i mean even dwarves don't i mean the the dwarven word for human is also the word for shoddy work yeah um, so shoddy (laughs) so like i mean it it, it says something if if a dwarf trusts you enough to to trust you to keep an oath that's a big deal in, in Warhammer, so and that's uh, like, and he even foreshadows it too. The second expedition, or well, into the third, it's the third, right? When he says, yeah. "Beware when dwarves speak of oaths," right? <laughs> Be right. very careful when dwarves start speaking of oaths. Ultimately, and this is, I, I can only really talk about it in spoilers, so I'm happy for this opportunity too. Because when people say, "Well, what did you really intend to do with this book? What did you intend to do with the Imperial Zoo?" And everything that I've said so far is true. It's supposed to be inspiration. It's supposed to be and bring. It's supposed to say, hey, monsters aren't just there to be killed, and really their place in the world is passing. All those things are true. But ultimately, what this book really is, as much as my kiss to all our Warhammer players over the years and people that love this world so much, is this is the price of being an adventurer. Mm. In a party of six people, right? Yeah. One, two died. One fell to chaos. One fell to despair to return to wait for death. One embraced basically turned to religion completely right. and embraced the pacifistic goddess and one alone of six said that I have to fight for the world. It's so Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really I'm is. getting choked but, up now. 
<laughs> and that is really ultimately what it was intended to be. Like when people say like, why these six or why this? Because the arc of their stories is this is the price of being an adventure. Even though none of them would ever call themselves an adventure. Mm. This is basically obviously a player character group. This is what you have to look forward to. Yeah. <laughs> Your odds of getting out are not good, basically. <laughs> so, so uh, Matt, before I, I move on to, to the question here and, and, and an audible here, did you have any other thoughts that you wanted to... Just to kind of finish up what the last bit of the book, there are pre-gen characters for the entire adventuring party, which is, is excellent. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I have a question on that, but I also just wanted to touch on the fact that the last couple pages of the book are a giant compendium of all of the different uh, creature traits. And boy, is it nice to have those in yeah. one spot. That's a big kiss from Padraig to you guys all. That was, yeah. he was, we talked about it early on, but uh, he was like, we, we should, I said, oh, we should do this. And he's like, we're absolutely going to do it. And between him and Dave, yeah, I think that's a great, great thing. I, I'd love to claim that. Nope, not me. <laughs> that was all the boys that they put it together and well, made it look really, really good. So. Necessary. like Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, honestly, yeah. I mean, I know that this probably will never happen, but this needs to be like a... Like the last, those pages should be attached as a three-page PDF to the core book when it's sold. Like honestly, yeah. I, I, it, it, it is makes, awful useful. Yeah, it's it is it's so, so often with role-playing yeah. games, you know, of from every company. Like you're gonna have this stuff spread out over ten different books, and to be able to bring it back, and obviously for creature traits, this is the perfect opportunity to do it. It just, it's great. I will say it's not really a spoiler, but connected to what we were saying earlier in the Skin Wolf entry, Lance. Yes, the one that my one friend, uh, she was like in tears afterwards when she was like, <laughs> I, I can't do her justice, but she was like, "Oh my god, and Christian hates nobles, and that's why he was drunk because he couldn't tell." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> like I said, so, not your average bestiary. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's definitely. It was fun to do them. So the it was early on. I hadn't really thought that. I knew they were the party, but Patrick is like, man, I'd want to be in this campaign. Yeah, pretty early on, he was like, good God, this campaign sounds amazing. And he was like, can we do? We should do these up as characters. We'll do them as pregens. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good. But they should have some more experience so people could plug them in. So we built them basically on a thousand. And the idea is that this is actually where they appear pretty early on during their first expedition right this appearance of them is not them at the at conclusion the of the third expedition right yeah. and you can tell in the entries throughout the thing that the the three expeditions are not three adventures right it's the over the course of many adventures yeah that a lot you you even get references to probably stuff that you could mentally go that sounds like an adventure like the marsh troll section where Vazi is talking about what they did he throws off a whole adventure in a sentence or two right if you guys remember he's like oh yeah we were asked to do this thing that's not really important <laughs> he just like throws off clearly some whole adventure like oh the river wardens asked us to do a thing and we took care of it but that's not really important what's important is we fought these trolls you know? oh yeah i honestly you could do three books as each for each one would be a campaign with what five or six adventures within yeah. yeah yeah you could definitely read certainly any experienced role player reads this thing goes like oh boy i can see the adv different adventures in the entries yeah. like 
this was yeah. clearly a thing. This was clearly a thing. Yeah, exactly. So I did want to just for for listeners to so you know, there is a section in here called expected expeditions GMs. This is a great little section on like, hey, what if you want to do something like this in your game? We already talked about like all the different, you know, gore things you could get and, you know, the parts and all that. But this is riches. Yeah. Yeah. This is more about like, hey if you do want to make this work or something similar, this is how you do it. Um, there's a little box on the Imperials, you needing additional people to go do this kind of research. So it's good stuff. One other thing I wanted to mention was two of these characters come straight out of the adventure, uh, feast of blood. The, it's the, uh, the wizard and the pit fighter. Yeah. He, they asked me if they could borrow them. <laughs> ah, yeah, they were always part of the beast area, but they were like, oh, we need like two others. Like we want to play. Can we borrow somebody? <laughs> I'm like, so, sure. So my question was, I kind of felt like that adventure could have been tied to like Vasa's backstory when they're coming back from Karak Kadrin. Like, is there a connection there? And I didn't know I, if that was intentional or not. It wouldn't have been intentional at my point, but certainly it could be it. You could read that in there pretty readily, yep. right? Okay. They, 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 it wasn't designed other than they went, hey, can we borrow two of these? Sam already did the art. They're gorgeous. Can we use these? Right. <laughs> and we're like, sure. That's cool. I wrote a little extra for them so they had some of the background correct. And the in the book, obviously, it's got kind of the final take on their personality and background and secrets and all that. So I, uh, you might have noticed that one interesting thing about the secrets, everybody has a core secret in this one that's like, yeah. okay, this is kind of part of the hook of this character. So really, this is true about this character. If you, you want to do this pre-gen as is, this is true. But you'll notice that all the others, unlike, say, the pre-gens from the core box, because that was all set up as we knew they'd be created as a party and they would all be together. I didn't actually presume that with this group of characters. Mm, I okay. actually presume that people might pluck them out because say somebody died during the enemy within and you're like, well, I really want to keep going with the enemy within guys, I, but I want to, I just want to use a pre-gen. So the idea was, okay, these are really interesting characters with already a thousand XP under their belt and they don't have anything that intrinsically connects them to the other characters other than what you know of what you've read in this expedition. So, you know, in every world, that might not be true in every Warhammer world. So you can pluck any of these characters out and say, oh, I like this character and plug them in. So, and uh, so one of the, we have an old world questioner similar uh, tied to this. Balin asks, I love the pre-gens for this book. How did you determine what species or career you needed? And what, what was the character creation process like for these characters? Well, ultimately for me, it was I wanted interesting different viewpoints. Okay. And usually I, I think in terms of we really went kind of like iconically unlikely with the core book, right? Mm-hmm. Technically speaking, if you're going by the old world and the way that I know you guys, we've talked and you guys have talked in your show about if you follow the random charts, which are supposed to be the most likely for what you'd actually run into the old world, the greater bulk of all adventuring groups would be all human. Right. Basically. You know, in theory, in the old world, what it would actually look like is almost everybody's human, occasionally a dwarf next to never a halfling or a elf. Right. And then uh, you're going to be dealing with, you know, mostly like, well, why do folks travel around or, you know, go anywhere else? So folks that are willing to leave their background behind 
are, are, are leave their comfy jobs behind are always going to be interesting characters, right? Like, why would you be willing to travel around and get into these things? So and that was kind of part of the, okay, I want this interesting group of folks. I, early on, I kind of had an idea of where everybody was going. So I kind of put them together. One of the ones that was late in the process, but a lot of fun is, as I was thinking about what the expedition would look like, I went, oh, they probably have a patron of some kind. Like, well, who would have bankrolled them for the patron? Oh, a noble. Like, and that's where Eric Massenbach came from. <laughs> it was like, somebody would have like bankrolled them. So, oh, a noble son that gets sent along to keep him out of trouble. So that was fun. So, and that's just kind of like one by one, the different characters kind of appeared. Um, well, it, it works so well to have the party with, it helps explain the book more too, right? Like the reason yeah. you have these drawings is because there was an artist that was there the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and the ability to like understand these creatures and what kind of, uh, you know, elements of their bodies can you use for potions and things? Well, there's an apothecary. So that's how you're going to know that it, it really, I mean, it's, I think the word elegant's been thrown around, but it fits here too. It's a really elegant way of of explaining why we have all this information. Well, and it made sense too that like if you're going to go out, you know, go after all these creatures and whatnot, who are you going to want? Well, uh, you know, a hunter is always going to be useful if you're out dealing with creatures. And uh, who else has dealt with a lot of creatures? Oh, pit fighters, <laughs> right? <laughs> for better or for worse, you know. Uh, and then uh, from that, I knew I was going to send either. Uh, I one thing I was on the fence is whether I should do a priest or a wizard, because uh, mm. you guys might notice in our pregens we mostly no- avoided priests. Actually, we haven't really done. Mm, that's uh, true. We have not really done a lot of uh, priests yet, and maybe part of that is us being shy because we haven't really done the full on like the individual priests for the different gods and what they'd be like. So that might be part of our reticence like I, i'm not telling you guys oh that was why it isn't it just it occurs to me that maybe that reticence might be part of it like oh yeah we haven't really done them up as detailed as they might get but regardless i was like actually it makes a lot of sense that it would be a wizard if it had ended up being a priest it definitely would have been a priest of like tal or Raya, yeah right? uh, probably tal if it had been a priest but uh, kissian's character i already liked her you guys might have recognized her name. She's actually in the uh, GM's guide. There's actually some stuff about her in the GM's guide, like the lecture series she was giving <laughs> is actually in the GM's guide. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. So uh, there's a slight Easter egg there. But yeah, I just she was kind of a fun character to do. Like, well, which one of the wizards would be most interested in the natural world? Well, it's going to be either Amber or... And it occurs to me an amber wizard is going to not like the entire concepts of zoos because at some point the zoos are enclosing wild creatures, right? Right. So it seemed to me that an amber wizard was like, you're doing this for the zoo? F you! You know, I hate zoos. So uh, I went, okay, like a green jade wizard, that makes sense. They'd be like, and useful, obviously. Their magic is super useful if you're going to be out fighting, so. Okay. So that was kind of where this particular set of... uh, characters eventually were chosen from well we have gone through and and we're at we're at a full three hours of talking <laughs> we're, that's a that's a new record yeah it is Not and, a bad way yeah so i guess i want to get some final thoughts here and then we can discuss on on timing and everything too um but i guess just kind of going around i i'll, I'll kick off my final thoughts here um here's my final thoughts 
this bestiary is awesome and and i want you to know what it is not it is not a stat block list of all of the creatures and and beasts that exist in warhammer it is not going to give you a breakdown of here is you know your average soldier here is your average like npc shopkeeper this is not that kind of bestiary it's not that kind of uh you know um book this is a book of some crazy and wild and amazing creatures that exist in the old world. Most of them are very, very deadly. And it's also a, a book that's a story um, and a good one. And and it's uh, it's in theme. It's in the theme of like you're actually reading something that was written in the old world. And keep in mind that there is a collector's edition of this book where if you want it on yourself so it looks like that, go That's get the, the collector's get. edition. Yeah. So my recommendation is it's it's definitely worth the buy. There's a lot of cool, fun stuff in there. And uh, just just realize uh, what it is going in. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, I, I love it. And uh, and I and I don't just say that um, there's. It's, it's great, great artwork. There's B series that people do and they don't have enough art. Um, they don't explain much or they're completely a dry read. And this is not that it is a great book. So that's my thoughts, Matt. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's a very enjoyable book, fun to read outside of, um, you know, the, the obvious utility of it being a bestiary with a lot of fun creatures in it. It was a delight to read. There's a lot of value in there. I think the I like a lot of the stuff that's included in the appendices as well. It if we would have gotten a bestiary that was just stat block after stat block, I think that'd have been fine too. I don't think we'd be complaining about it. But this was not what we expected, and I can tell you that when Lance and I, you know, because generally anytime there's new PDF, he'll get it, he'll send it to me. And we'll talk like just as we're we're like swiping through it on our phones. This one was such a pleasant surprise on how it was put together. Change of pace from from you know so much that's just utility after utility. This having such a uh, an interesting story to go along with it was a breath of fresh air. And I hope we see more stuff like this. No pressure, TS, but uh, this was great. It is always a weird. It is a difficult decision for a lot of RPG types to say they want to do an in-character book because some worlds are not rich enough or beloved enough to justify it, right? They're not enough there that people immediately go, well, boy, that sounds worth checking out. But that's kind of part of the joy of Wolfrup. It has such a rich old history that people are like, okay, I'll give this a shot. And it's been really gratifying. I, I'm glad you both enjoyed it. It's been gratifying to hear that it has gone over well. It obviously took a lot out of me. I, I put a considerable amount into it, and uh, I basically rolled the dice <laughs> that it would go over well. But with all said and done, like it has gone over as well as I could have be expected. And I've been really amused that the old graybeards have been like, Corey Richards should have been written 30 years ago. Thanks, TS. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Some of that is, uh, has been some of the amusing uh, compliments that I've gotten. Like, this should have been around ages ago, which from those guys is like always the best compliment ever. <laughs> this should have right. been the first edition. So, yeah, that's been uh, that's been gratifying. So I, I'm glad it's going over well. I can't wait till I have the print, too. Everybody's like, oh, this looks so good. I can't wait to see it in print. Now, me, too. Uh, I, I think it'll 
I think it'll it do. It's done quite well already in pre-orders and all that. But I think once people have seen it, even more so, it's just going to be like, oh, I want that. Yeah, if you want the collector's edition, please do order early because I have the feeling they'll get snatched up once people see them. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I that's immediately on my list. So, old worlders, that's the end of our show tonight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, TS, for joining us in the show. We really appreciate you being here for giving us so much of your time, which I know is not a small thing to ask. So uh, thank you again. Oh, thank you. Not a problem. So on our next episode, man, I can tell you, uh, I know at the top of our docket, are, are we still haven't done a review on Archives 2 and I can yeah, tell that's you, a big one. yeah, great, a great one. And up and in arms up just arms. came out. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, a large one, quite literally. Yeah. <laughs> it's yes. fun to write about ogres for that one. Uh, so did you do the ogre piece? I did. I did the, uh, I did the good chunk of the ogre piece. Yeah. Really? I did not know that, man. When you read the ogres, I'm you'll see they're broken. They're broken into two big things. Like there's the one that's all lore and background, and yep. then there's one that's lore and game stats. I wrote the first one, the lore stuff, and then helped a little with the second. But I, I basically did all the lore stuff and their history and whatnot. So. Awesome, nice, awesome. Well, well, that's definitely. Uh, I can tell you, uh, it's not a, it's not an if, it's just a when. So we're gonna get those two episodes out um, as quick as we can just uh we got to set everything up there's uh, cubicle seven keeps giving us products so uh, <laughs> we're just uh we're just not as quick as they are of late so it's a, it's a good problem to have a good problem to have don would so, definitely agree with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah so intrepid listeners keep in touch let us know your questions feedback and even show topic suggestions you can contact us multiple ways by checking out our website at www.oldworldpodcast.com twitter at old world podcast and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash old world podcast. And while you're checking us out on this various social interwebs, be sure to hop on over to our Patreon page and support us. If you like what we're doing and want to help out, become a patron for only a couple dollars a month. You can help support the show and get some cool rewards too. Check us out at patreon.com slash old world podcast. Also let us know what you think. Visit iTunes or your preferred podcast service and rate us. Every review helps us reach even more Warhammer fans. And this is Lance saying goodnight, and I know I've said it before, but it's worth saying again. If your players are plagued with an overabundance of fate, I might recommend the Imperial Zoo. This is Matt saying goodnight, and remember, the rumbling under your feet may not be an earthquake after all. This is T.S. saying, if you're invited to a Talayan Razorbill party, say no. (laughs) Run far and run fast. (laughs) This podcast and related website are completely unofficial and are not endorsed by Games Workshop Limited or Cubicle 7 Entertainment. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. GW Games Workshop, Warhammer, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and all associated logos, illustrations, images, names, creatures, races, vehicles, locations, weapons, characters, and the distinctive likenesses thereof are registered trademarks of Games Workshop Limited, Cubicle 7 Entertainment, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including any audio or video information, is the intellectual property of the Old World Podcast and Crimson Tower Studios, LLC. 